And I think it's really important that people understand that every for all of us, I guess, that every one thing that you make and you present to the public is probably about 50 things in the dustbin. But it's a learning process, isn't it? And that and it fascinates me. Material technology fascinates me what you can do. <laughs> So I'm just gonna I'm gonna put the microphone down to where my glass is so you can hear this pouring in. One second. Ooh, that's a nice sound. Holy shit! That, that shit keep me going for a while. <laughs> I think I've got Good a Lord. bottle. I think I've a bottle of George Dickel upstairs somewhere. Also, a what? Sorry, George Dickel. Can you say that with a straight face? <laughs> That's awesome. It was like the first time I heard of yeah. Knob Creek. I was just laughing for about yeah. 10 minutes. I yeah. was like, oh. George Dickel is a, a real nice um, sour mash uh, whiskey. Nice. Very, very nice. Today, I mean, we've, we have a, a lengthy episode that we recorded with Pete Tyndall, which was a, a lot of fun. Oh, Did yeah, you? and I just listened to the full thing again yesterday and... Man, it sounds good. Well, we all had proper mics and we had the setup and everything. It was it was what I always wanted a podcast to be like. But and it's chock full very, of info. Very, very difficult to do. We, we talked really about was. a ton of stuff. Yeah. I mean, Pete's a very knowledgeable guy, but he's also very humble about it. He doesn't, mm-hmm. you wouldn't, you know, he doesn't go around telling everybody what he knows and what he does. He just gets on with it. So. No, and he's just um, one of the nicest guys ever. Yeah. I met I met Pete this um, the same weekend I met you. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, wow. There we go. So yeah, we go back a while. Um, but um, yeah, it was it was a really nice chat, and we had a lot of fun doing it. And uh, yeah, so I I decided you know because it was a good chat, I didn't want to cut it in half this time. So it's a full hour and forty minutes, I think, or thereabouts. So we'll keep our little bit chit chat brief. But um, <clears throat> the subject of today of, of technical stuff that I thought would be fun to talk about was um, I did some stuff, a set of teeth. Yeah, and it was a really it was a good reveal in on the in the film. Yeah, it was cool, wasn't it? Yeah. It's um so so it was um yeah, Dave and Lou Elsie produced and, and, and directed this thing and um as you can imagine, uh, people that work with horror they really know how to use makeup and stuff the right way. So they mm-hmm. don't have a plate, they don't have to do it, you, you reveal, you know, the right way. Um but one of these basically it's not a very it's it's a visual thing this so doing it on the podcast isn't great but it, it it goes into a more general area, which is basically things like teeth and horns and stuff in makeups. Um, one of the things I think is a, a good thing to do is to sort of sculpt them separately as separate things. So make mm-hmm. them in hard material and then you can put them in the sculpt, sculpt them around them so like the gums can go around the teeth, all that kind of stuff. Then you pull the teeth out and you mold them separately and make them in different things. Uh, same with horns, you know, you might want the skin to respond around the horn. So rather than trying to sculpt the horn at the same time as the piece, which you could do, yeah. I think it's quite nice to make the horn separately first and then make it something rigid that you can then remove well, I, I think like anytime you've got something um, inorganic or you know, I guess teeth are organic but something firm that's gonna be coming out of or going into something soft it's a good idea to, to do them separately like that. I did um, I, did I modeled the electrodes Frankenstein's monster the electrodes um, for a makeup I did last fall, uh, just for fun, after the the ones in the movie. Not they're mm-hmm. not I didn't use 
make actual bolts, you know, hex head bolts. They're, they're these funky electrodes. And I, you know, modeled them in, in uh, Fusion 360 and then printed them and mm-hmm. then sculpted the clay around and then popped out the, the bolts to mold them so that you've got that. When you put them in, it looks like the skin is kind of trying to fold itself back around the the electrodes. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's a great way of doing it because then you you're, you're helping to secure it, and also you've like this thing has gone into the skin, so the skin presumably in real. Yeah. If this was real, the skin would wrap around it like a gasket. So yeah, a nice, well, a great example. Seal. The the best example is um, your ceramic jaw makeup. Mm. <laughs> Where where the yeah. where, it, where you can see where it's pushing the skin up around the around the cheek and the ear mm-hmm. where the where the jaw hinge is I've always loved that from the first time I Thanks, saw man. saw a pics of that yeah um, yeah it's it's it is interesting when you introduce different tissues into a ma- or what is supposed to be a different tissue into a makeup because often things like horns and teeth they are they look like they're you know hard like they're supposed mm-hmm. to be. But often they're not. They're either semi-rigid or, or you can swap them out for different things. Um, because one of the things you have obviously have to think about is safety. So, if, for, for example, with this makeup here, you know, it's, it's a vampire thing. So it has all these teeth. And it, this, you know, th- she really goes for it and bites him and stuff and attacks. So what we don't want is, is, is hard teeth scratching the yeah, actor that's being bitten. Actually or drawing indeed, blood. Yeah, or indeed pushing back into the face of the biter. So, um, so th- these were made out of silicone. So they look like real teeth. They look like they're shiny and hard because there's nothing to tell you they're not. But they're just made out of a harder silicone. Um, and then you. So yeah, this was the first time I'd ever done this. I think it's about eighteen months ago. It was um, basically I, I, I modelled them up in ZBrush, and then I printed them on my my then my little Mono S, my little tiny printer. But because they're teeth size, they're not that big. And I printed up a bunch of teeth. Well, turned and then out, clean them great. up. They look great. Yeah, they worked really well. And I super glued um, pins to the tip of each tooth, and then I just um, suspended them in a little block, and then flooded them with silicon to make one big mold. And then the pin that was glued to the end of each fang basically acted as a bleeder, so that later on, when I filled that with silicone, the silicone could get out of the tip of the tooth. Which Otherwise is important. You'd end up with a little air bubble. Yeah, little risers and, and high points very important. Um, so. Uh, I can put some pictures of this on the on the blog post. I would like to spend time and actually do a proper blog post about this properly later, but I'll put some quick pictures in there to explain yeah. that. It's, it's interesting because, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm working on the fourth edition of the book now, and I was just, which is going to be a major overhaul. I didn't, didn't think it was going to be quite as much is of it, a, a is change. Is it growing before your eyes? <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, it's 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 going to be a monumental thing. It's uh, a major overhaul. But I was just rewriting part of one of the chapters, and I'm rewriting most of every chapter mm-hmm. uh, and flipping things or you know, changing. Like the, for chapter one, industry in the in the third edition is now going to be the last chapter. So the first chapter in the book is going to start off with anatomy and design. But anyway, I was just rewriting the section, and I was talking about bleeders and and sprues and and why you've got to have them and how you deal with all of that stuff yeah and i think illustrations are very good at demonstrating that because a lot of these things are hard to understand in just words but when you see them they're very very obvious very evident 
Um, and it's all to do with obviously the orientation of the mold as well. So if you're doing a small thing that you can hold in your hand, you can swill the mold. But if you're doing something that's, you know, made of stone and it's half a body or, you know, or, or a full head or something, it, you may have to hold it at a certain angle and pour it. Mm -hmm. And then depending on the angle of the head, certain things are going to be higher than others. And a lot of that also depending on how how viscous the the silicone that you've poured in is going to be. Mm -hmm. You know, because you want yeah. also want to make sure that. Any air, if you didn't degas the silicone before you poured it in the mold, mm -hmm. you've got to make sure that the air bubbles are going to be able to rise away from the surface because the last thing you want is air bubbles against the surface of the mold or, or the sculpture when you're making the mold and yeah. have time for all of that stuff to excess. So you might have to angle it one way for a while to let air bubbles come out and then angle it another way to let air bubbles come out from the other mm -hmm. side and hope that your your working time is long enough that you're going to be able to get all of that done you know but it's, it's okay if you've got air bubbles suspended in the silicone as long as there's nothing against um a critical area yeah yeah it's interesting that that happens as well with you know if you're degassing your silicon and, and you've got to think about like you say the viscosity is important and that will you know that will determine how big your pour tube will be mm -hmm. and uh the height you might pour it out how quickly you've got to work this whether you need to retard your silicon there's this, this knock-on effect and also the thickness of your sculpt you know if, if 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 it's progressing very slowly around this mold and you know it's hot it's good to do a little batch test i think just a little cup just like 10 mil of a and 10 mil of b mix it up and just time the thing and just see how long it takes to set or at least you know you know walk away assume it's going to take you a half hour to an hour to fill this mold properly to let it get everywhere do you have that much time right know, at the current temperature you're at because obviously these materials behave differently in different temperatures and um it's terrifying to have mixed up 10 kilos only to then find out that it's setting before you get out of the tube that yeah if you've sad, got if you've got I've something that. that that's that's viscous and and relatively fast setting might be a good idea to refrigerate your silicone before yes. you before you mix it up because cold silicone is going to have a, a lot more working time than if you're pouring it up at room temperature in a warm room and it's going to yeah. kick on you before you get everything before you even get the mold filled and there's there goes a hundred dollars worth of silicone right there oh it's a, it, yeah it's, it's an upsetting and painful experience when that happens, but you have to uh have to take it on the chin but i've done that before we've had it was a summer a couple of years ago it was on dracula actually with with uh, dave and lou on on um they, on that netflix dracula not only are, is is day and losing you know a fabulous producer they're good storytellers they are. They know just general good raconteur stuff. But, yeah, um, they've they've got their yeah. they've got it going on. They do indeed. Yeah, and what was I about that thing? Oh, they're the silicon, and they're, yeah, it was a hot day, and uh, well, it was a hot summer, and uh, we refrigerated the the silicon and retarded it, and having done both of those things, we only just had enough time. <laughs> so that was pretty wow. scary. But, um, but yeah, so modifying your materials is good. But I was thinking about um, another thing with things like horns and stuff, because they protrude out, obviously. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they may, may need to be detachable so that you, know, you can replace them. Um, but hollow, hollow latex horns are great. I mean, you can get some pretty decent sizes out of that as, as a thing. And a lot, a lot of people think about very complicated materials. But a hollow swilled, you know, slip latex horn yeah. that's, that's fully dried, 
stuck to the skin, you know, with the horn protruding, and then you put your piece over the top so that, you know, you've got your surround of the skin, the silicon around it. So it's nice. It looks great. I mean, it looks amazing. It looks a lot like a horn, and it doesn't weigh much. And if someone accidentally walks into the wall or turns and catches their horn that they forget, you know, sticks out four inches from their head, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't hurt them or break. It just bends, you know. So, yeah. so it doesn't wobble about and well, shock. And it's got, if, if you've glued it on well... It's going to basically be like a, a little balloon. It's going to have air trapped inside it. So mm. it's not going to collapse on itself. It'll just kind of mush in and pop right back out again. It's interesting. I saw on one of the forums recently somebody mentioned about using something instead of uh, latex for a makeup. And, you know, loads of people were just chiming in um, silicon <laughs> you know, because uh, that's what we use now. Um, but I was thinking a lot of the, the latex stuff we, you know, in the past, all looks like stretch and stipple and things, and there are alternatives to that. So, with latex allergy being the issue, I'm thinking with things that have been made in latex, like horns, where mm-hmm. the actual the anchoring point where it actually would be in contact with the skin is very small, you could get around that by just having like a disc of cat plastic that you stick to the skin first and then stick the latex to that yeah so that the skin is actually like a prophylactic so you you barriered between the problem of the latex and the skin so you still have the benefits of the latex piece made but it doesn't actually have to touch the skin mm-hmm. um you know and that protects that uh, and then and i was thinking that because of i remember i think it was early days with life casting silicone with um the uh, body double stuff yeah and you know we, on- we only had latex caps and you know a quick way around that is to stick your latex cap on a latex is really i like a, a latex ball cap for life casting because it it, it cle- it's tight it doesn't relax like um vinyl plastic yeah. caps do and they're cheaper with heat they're way cheaper, they're cheaper. <clears throat> but the latex is obviously an issue um for um platinum silicons so what you can do is just stipple prosade over the whole of the ball cap the latex ball cap once you've applied it and then just get some saran wraps and cling film and stick that over the top and Bang. then you've yeah. protected the the silicon from the latex and um you know it just you may have wrinkles of it but you're going to sand that off anyway right yeah but you've got the beauty of the the, the nine retention times of out the of ten you're going to do down. a corrected a corrected positive yes. before you go on and do anything else uh, you know all things considered you you're going to manage your time well enough that you can do that and any blemishes that you've got from 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 the cap application are going to be negligible and you can work around it easily yeah absolutely yeah. So, so yeah, latex. I want to. I want to see some 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 latexy things being done because I think it's one of those things that, because of the allergy issue, it's kind of been like you know regarded as this terrible thing. But it's so cheap. It, mm-hmm. It's a natural material. Breaks down, and it doesn't last in the ground forever like you know silicon does. Um, and it's it it looks great for the right thing. You don't have to use it for everything. And yes, there are people who are allergic, but there are some people who are allergic to sunlight. Does that mean we? live on the dark side of the moon you know it's just like no you just you work with it so you just check if they don't have a latex allergy um i'm sure it's fine and most latex Um, allergies aren't severe anyway so suck it up nancy (laughs) (laughs) there is that i mean i mean they still make condoms out of latex it's not like you know that and and they're used in quite intimate places so um it's 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 one of those things you you try and avoid, but I still I still think it's a great material and it, it has its place. Yeah. Um, you know. Well, you know, old it's old school and it's still around for a reason. Well, you know, that's cheap, if it, maybe, well, that and you know, <laughs> if it if it ain't if it ain't broke, don't fix it. 
it had everything it all has its place you know i'm 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 not a big fan of spirit gum but i yeah. still have it in my kit yeah just in case you never know that little ben nye stuff is good the little yeah. tiny bottles that yay big um it's good stuff actually yeah so that so there's that but yeah i really like using you know little inserts and things with with pieces and, and things like horns and stuff there's a whole bunch of we should probably do another episode about stuff that's mounted on you know things like horns and ball caps and stuff so if somebody yeah. has you know horns like something like hellboy for example which you know is is a substantial set of horns I mean, when he's got his horns, I mean, mm-hmm. um, obviously they're normally cut down. Um, or you might see something like, um, you know, darkness, you know, that again, you've got that big understructure. You kind of have to do that thing first, really, because you're going to stick the horns to that. And then the sculpt that's going to be over the top of that has to accommodate whatever the, the ball yeah, cap there's, is. There's so thought involved to... in, in a makeup yeah. like that. You can't just, can't just a lot of it. And it's all... barge in like a bull in a china shop and... And, a, and attack it without giving it a fair amount of more than a fair amount of thought on how this is going to work because even if you're doing the horns out of say you're doing you know something that's close to a moose antler kind of thing it still needs to <laughs> which i have done <laughs> yeah um you know it's still gonna even, even if you do use a syntactic dough which you know like like freeform air or or uh, some of the ad tech stuff that's very light. Yeah, it's still going to have to be secured to a rigid underskull that is then hidden by you know a silicone bald cap or latex or or whatever, and you know put stuck on with some kind of bolt or some some kind of attachment method. Mm. And you got to figure that out in advance before you start doing it because if you try to figure it all out after you. Have, have made all these things and you haven't thought about it it's going to be a clusterfuck yes nobody likes a clusterfuck <laughs> that's the worst kind of fuck is a clusterfuck <laughs> that normally the happens old, at 3 a.m. when Charlie you're, Fox you're about to yeah. be on set yeah and, and, and there's there's no turning back no uh, yeah it, it, it's pretty scary um, but yeah things like, like like attaching horns and stuff to I mean nowadays I think a lot of back form um, ball caps are used more than I think we used to use a lot of Kevlar and fiberglass back in the day but I think that form's good and also um, scanning but what's interesting about scanning see even though scanning gives you a very accurate surface um, the trouble is it doesn't deal with hair very well and invariably there's a stocking cap mm-hmm. put on a head and then you end up with a great scan of, of their hair covered in a stocking net which is going to compress if you were to put a strap down ball cap on it so right you actually need to still get down to the head so you'd have to measure their head to you know tight with a tailor's tape so that you know you've actually got an accurate size unless they've shaved bald like this um there's a danger that the volume of hair is 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 an inaccurate measure of their head so you're gonna have to make the cap adjustable to some degree they normally have like a couple of splits at the back Mm -hmm. and then like a strap an adjustable strap so it fits but then you can make it tight not so tight you give them a migraine but uh but something that's going to secure itself there so that when the, you know, the horns or whatever is, are in place, um, are, are you know are, are a thing. And the danger of that stuff is because it, you don't see any of it really, unless you're pursuing this and looking into this stuff. It just looks like oh, it's just there, and you see people copying it, and they've sculpted big silicon horns that weigh ten kilos, and yeah, you know, you rip someone's neck muscle because they're trying to move this heavy typewriter around on their head. I've done um, be, I've done the uh, the musical version, the stage version of Beauty and the Beast. 
a number of times and um, I've had a, a cowl, you know, the fur beast cowl made out of fabric from fiber, fiber tech, uh, at what is National Fiber Technology in, in, in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. uh, NFT, that they make this amazing four-way stretch fiber hair of, you know, whatever, you know, custom lengths. It's the stuff of legends, that stuff. It's, it's, it's amazing. And I've had the, yeah. got this beast cowl and I have a fiberglass underskull that goes up into the top of the head with bolt holes for the beast horns to screw into that are made out of soft urethane foam. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that is, that's one of the things that can be more generic than, than really precise to someone's head because you've, mm-hmm. you've got the, the flexibility of being able to hide a lot of the other stuff with the fur and the, and the hair. It's one of the things we, they did, a, we did a, the, the face of the beast from a life cast uh, that is held in place with straps that are hidden underneath the cowl so that mm-hmm. at the end when the, the transformation, when the beast dies and the, the prince reemerges as, as the prince, um, boom, that transformation can happen in seconds because yeah. nothing is glued to the actor's face. It fits precisely because it was sculpted to his, his likeness and it's thin enough so it emotes beautifully. Yeah. That's one of those things where you can, you can cheat, cheat some stuff. Yeah. Um, That's interesting because it has to work. It actually has to do something like on stage. You've got to be able to take it off in a manner in which it's inconspicuous or, you know, while he's out of the count or under behind something and then Mm -hmm. removes that. And then, you know, he can do that himself, presumably. Yeah. You know, with his gloves on or maybe he takes them off first, but, and that's going to be one swift move and then, you know, not, not get damaged in the process. So you don't have to spend ages fixing it in between each performance. Um, so it's, yeah, thinking through the whole process, you know, all those practical elements, none of which are evident in the finished thing. People just see the finished thing. No, we, it's, it's working through those. The first time I did Beauty and the Beast, it was um, with this dis- a disabled theater company here in Denver called Family. And, you know, all of the, the, the performing cast has some kind of physical disability. And when the Beast died, he collapsed on the floor, and we had this fog machine with this roiling fog just comes in and envelops him on the stage and he had fallen on the trap door and tr- the tra- as soon as he's covered with the, the smoke the trap drops and we pulled everything off of him and he's back up and he emerges from the, the fog standing up seconds after he went down wow. and the audience went apeshit that's Cause, awesome because he falls down and then rises out of this fog, and I think the whole and with there's music and lights and stuff going on. I think the whole transformation took 15 seconds. Oh my god, that's amazing! I mean, that's something you don't get from film, really. You don't really get that immediate response, and also it is only one time each time. Whereas you might go for multiple takes on set, but on a yeah. theater show, it's in real time. It's sequential. It's within the story, and and, and you have an audience you know, watching the whole thing. Yeah, so you can feel that response straight away, which is a lovely thing. 
because otherwise you don't really get that on film you know you might you might do eventually if they see it but more often than not they cut the stuff you've done so you don't yeah. even see it um that's awesome well we've waffled on i think we should probably now listen to pete tindall waffle on with us it's a we'll it's a good one and let us know what you think this must be really weird for you guys doing one of these podcasts but actually being able to sit in the same room as apart from halfway around the planet oh it makes me so happy <laughs> it's kind of easier I have to, isn't I it i have to get my camera now i have to take some pictures yeah and now oh, yeah <laughs> my god i'm definitely buying one of those <laughs> but the, the four tracks you can put any sound on them you like so if you've got like listener questions you can save them or sound effects, or I could even put the intro music in, but I'd, I'd rather do it in the edit, but yeah. it's, it's very useful. You say, oh, we had a question from so-and-so, and then I press play, and then we'd all hear it at the same time. Amazing. It's really useful. So. Yeah, buying one of those. Oh, it's going to be one of those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. Can't be <laughs> with that. No, it's great. Thanks. Thanks. It's great to see Todd as well after so long. And uh, Yeah, it's yeah. been, what, 2018? Something like that, yeah. Monster Palooza's yeah. 10th anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. One Which was a great show. It one was a great show. Yeah. Technical point when you turn your head like that it drops off yeah, so Todd's I on your know. side so I think what might do yeah. is just move your microphone around a little bit yeah, yeah. yeah. just that? twist that better just a bit little better. twisty yeah. holy shit <laughs> 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 you did it first <laughs> plus I'm just a massive child so yeah that's why we get along so well <laughs> yeah it's been pretty childish and pure all the time <laughs> and trying to find space for the machines you know acquiring printers is it's a bit of a problem because then you've got to find a sort of permanent space for them. Yeah. I don't use them all the time, but they always occupy that footprint. So mm. it's like, what to do with that? I'm still trying to figure out how to incorporate the printers into my workflow. Because at the moment, I'm still printing things that I would then mold to use them. Yes. Because the, yeah. the prints aren't often, they're not usable for what we need. Because mm. we need the compression of molds. I don't know. Have you had much luck with printing molds? Um, not really. No, I've tried a few flat pieces, but I'm still virgin when it comes to ZBrush. I'm mm. using Nomad at the moment. Mm. Um, and yeah, you can print, you can sculpt flat pieces and stuff on Nomad, but I'm still uh, early days with that as well. So yeah, I'd quite like to get into that kind of sculpting pieces, but then also uh, creating molds mm. and things. I think it's quite useful. At the moment, I'm just being a massive nerd and printing out Wolfman figures and aliens and lightsabers well, and all the usual gives you the opportunity to kind of get a feel mm. and dial in the the adjustments on your printer yeah and also finding a good <coughs> resin because i've i've been using the same resin for ages and then i've just swap sw swatched switched over to um Soriatech yes resin and oh my god it's so much better it's really good yeah i've used the tenacious as well that's yes yeah yeah it's um are these racing. available in the states that, yeah no, i have to look into that is it tenacious the soft one yes yeah but yeah. what you can do is uh put it in as a percentage so you that's put like, right, yeah. like one part and yeah. nine parts the other yeah and it just stops it being so brittle with yeah I, i've got it and I haven't done the mix and match thing yet, but uh, yeah, no, the Soriatech resins at the moment are my favourite. Muy interesante. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is very cool. I think it's yeah. just trying to figure out. I mean, the interesting thing, I think, from a prosthetic point of view, is, is trying to use these digital tools mm. to replace, you know, you're using them for things you would otherwise do practically. Mm. Whereas a lot of people, I think, are printing things they were never going to make. Like pe people are printing Mandalorian helmets all over the place, yeah, but they weren't little, previous to that making little, Mandalorian little, helmets, mm, Dungeons and Dragons build. figures. Yeah, exactly that kind of thing. Super so. detailed. 
Yeah. yeah. You know, the, oh, yeah. The, the resin printers can get crazy. Yeah, but they're all they're all optimized for the act of printing rather than for what they're going to be used for. Like right. there's inhibition. Yeah, yeah. which, yeah. which um, Rod Maxwell told me that he he's been been printing and, and casting silicone directly into the resin molds. And he's he's just getting up around the inhibition problem just by hitting it with a a dusting of epoxy par film. Oh, really? So oh. that's what I'm going to try as soon as I get home. And you know, everything I know about ZBrush, it's either from Pablo Gomez, you know, Peblander uh, on Instagram. Um, Maddie Spencer, who teaches for Nauman and has an incredible series of introductory ZBrush videos and 65 videos that are amazing. And Rod Maxwell, mm. those are my, that's how I know what I know, which is still very little at this point. But mm. uh, the Maddie Spencer's Nauman tutorials are They're amazing. amazing. The, just yeah. the first three in, in the series will change everything for yeah. you i actually um i did a um an evening class in zbrush a while ago and uh it was the first evening that suddenly unlocked everything it was just understanding the um user interface mm -hmm. and that getting started and then after that it just seemed to be a lot easier but it was i think the first time you look at zbrush it's just it, it seems to oh, there's be so many so, buttons yeah and and funnily enough actually i was listening to your steve wang podcast the other day and what he was saying about ignoring all that other stuff and just yeah. going for what you want. Was and really that's what Maddie Spencer was saying, too. You yeah. know, there's all these things, but in order to become a competent, organic sculptor doing creatures, mm. there are only a handful of tools um, from that enormous brush menu. Mm. Yeah. That, that's one of the things, getting the language right, because yeah. they're not tools, they're brushes. Yeah. Um, which is odd, isn't it, yeah. from a sculpting point but, of view? But like, there, there are very few brushes that you actually will use all the time. The rest of mm. them, maybe never. Mm. Just so, some things that are still there as buttons that are from you know the original version of ZBrush. Mm. That I don't, I don't know why they're even still there because uh, you will never use them mm. under pretty much any circumstance. Just. Yeah. So, well, if, if that's the case, then why are they still there? But there are a number, we, number of things. You know, Stu gets pretty angry about ZBrush, <laughs> and justifiably so. It's yeah. something that I, I agree with his his pet peeves about about ZBrush. That's yeah. you know, like why isn't a selected subtool more identifiable immediately? That you know glowing neon mm. which is a different color just like a different a color. really different color not just a marginally different color and if you append if you if you add another subtool into your your list you know, it doesn't select that in the subtool it, the, the previous tool is still mm. selected so if you add in you know you add in a sphere that you want to add to this and then you go straight to your to your scale tool to make that sphere smaller or bigger or change it in any way it changes the previous subtool rather than the one that just entered. Which in you know Photoshop, you load something in, and it's that's it what is that that's what's yeah. automatically selected, and that makes yeah. me crazy because I have to undo that and go back to the subtool menu yeah. and select that other tool. I think that's probably my issue with it is because I'm so familiar with Adobe. Like for example, Photoshop or Illustrator, you literally have nothing except the entire screen is is the working area, mm -hmm. and you pull down the ones you want and you have them on the side mm -hmm. whereas here it's like no you have to have them there or you or you don't have them and you don't have them at all do you know what i mean it's like well you can change the the workspace i'm like but that's like 
having to change families because you want a different hair color. It's like, can't you just dye your hair? Do you know what I mean? It's just like a strange mm. restriction yeah. that I, the only reason I feel entitled is because I can get it in other software. And it seems obvious to me that you would just do that. But I appreciate making sculpting software is not easy. <laughs> so, no, and, I and, to learn and how ZBrush to use it is an astonishing yeah. software. It's, it's changed. Mm. It, it, how I do a lot of things. Yeah. It, well, it's the go to one. It's the go. Sorry, I keep moving yeah. away from the microphone. Uh, <laughs> it's the um, it's the go to, isn't it? Yeah. Everybody's. Yeah. I mean, even when you've got free and very powerful softwares like Blender, you know, people are still heading towards ZBrush. I mean, some of the things uh, you, you can do anything. Yeah. Really, it, it, but it, I get it. what you mean. I mean, those there's always those little kind of um, annoyances, I suppose, with everything. Maybe yeah. if Pixelogic hears this, then. They'll sort their act out. Well, the other or thing demand is you that we give the software back. Is it, <laughs> yeah. Here's your money back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Do you know what? Just <laughs> fuck off, Adam. Yeah, send us to court or something. Well, I paid for mine. I must buy my paid up, mate. Yeah. But um, <laughs> here's your money back. Fuck off now. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, Pete, you're more of a. I, I think of you as somebody very uh, familiar with materials, and mm -hmm. I because you've done a lot of different things, and you worked in the prosthetic thing and the molding thing. We first mm -hmm. met on. Batman Begins. Yeah, that's it. In two thousand and dark ages. Uh, yeah, I think it started two thousand three, didn't it? And then we finished two thousand four. Yeah, it was a long job. That's right. It was in January. Yeah. I think I split because. And then I ended up after that. I ended my up son going was born. To, well, yeah. <laughs> who's who's this massive tall yeah. ganglion walking around the garden, right? smashing up pumpkins right now? It's bizarre to see him. So, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I ended up going on to the miniatures for Batman as well. So I was on that for 16 months. Can you believe that? Wow. That's crazy. And what and were you the doing miniatures, miniatures are amazing. Uh, we were doing the... Um, Little uh, jobs. For, ba <laughs> for Batman Begins, we were doing the the final scene of the film where the monorail, there's a big fight in the monorail and it all monorail, crashes monorail, and explodes, explodes and that kind of stuff. We were doing the... The narrows, all the kind of lanes, and you know, all that kind of stuff. Really, it was good. So, were those eighth scale, or sixth scale? Oh, crazy! They were pretty big. They were huge. I mean, they were shot. That monorail sequence is shot in the George Lucas stage at Elstree Studios, and they started off on eight foot high rostrum, and the top of the miniature was in the reds. So it was the entire height of the studio. They were colossal. Wow. Can't remember the, the the scale of it if I'm being honest, but because yeah. they looked real. That yeah, they were big. I mean the 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 structure that was um, the steel structure was all aluminium. It was all bolted together, and when it crashed and it bent, it was it really crashed. It was a one shot deal basically, and Steve Begg was there supervising that. So pretty scary, exciting though, exciting really. Yeah, exciting. Run a lot, of, run multiple cameras because you only get one take. Oh god, yeah, it was it was that kind of thing. I mean, it was almost like they wanted to have another day just checking everything before they press go. But uh, yeah, mm. no, it was great. It was good. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. And that was in, in terms of materials. That was quite an intense job. You had a lot of material things like the urethane of the suit yeah. and yeah, yeah. the clear panels. And Brian Bess was kind of designing all that and yeah. figuring out how to make things work. And it was quite intense wasn't it I mean, it was, there was a foam oven there was a urethane <laughs> oven there yeah was yeah it was fascinating i mean yeah as you say every, we were using pretty much everything you could throw at it really material wise and brian did an amazing job um doing all his tests and experimentations with different clarities and because at the time we were i mean even though we had loads of great materials we're still kind of restricted to a certain extent with what really we wanted to do so the um I remember the the Nomec suit, the clear one, they wanted um they wanted it to be flexible and stretchy, but of course at the time there wasn't really that stretchiness. So 
the clear um, polyurethane elastomers that were available were were flexible but not that stretchy so the fabrication team had to design a way of almost um, uh, lacing it together with expandable lace and sticking it onto um, neoprene costumes and that so it was it was a really good it was really interesting and it was actually my first job in the industry and I was just blown away by everything that happened but it was a massive learning experience for me as well material wise mm. yeah, so definitely. is there anything that that they were R&Ding during that that is has become more commonplace and is using mean use on a regular basis now I, I do remember uh, Justin Neal from now from Neal's materials coming around with this new silicon that everybody's going crazy about and try this for making flat because we did a lot of the flat molds for the detail parts mm -hmm. you were there i don't know why i'm telling you but you were there. you're telling me man you're, <laughs> no, you're telling everyone else um but the, i remember justin bringing around this kind of new material and it was a platinum silicon and it was clear and it cured quite quickly and it's quite flexible and it was called i think it was called plat gel 10 or something like that and this was years ago before people started picking it up and thinking about it as a as a prosthetic material, there was the, the the plat gel or the base of the plat gel ten was was there, but we didn't develop that. That was just brought to us. But um, but yeah, yeah, it was a it was a great job. Interesting, mm. tiring, long, but uh, yeah, it was good. Very good. So, yeah. what is it with with materials and stuff? Because obviously, you you sculpt, you do a bit of mm. everything. I mean, what's your what's your story, Pete? What's my story? How do you? What, well. I was going to go all Goonies then and start telling you about when I left primary school and <laughs> but, but um, no, I well, was born a small child. <laughs> yeah, uh, I just I think for me I think um, the fascination lies within creative making, uh, and I think a lot of people separate things. Like they'll separate props and they'll separate prosthetics and costume effects and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, um, most well nowadays the materials and the techniques and the processes are all transferable right across as you and I know and Todd knows but particularly the job we've just been on um, those that it, we were in that one department but that, there was a whole gamut of kind of prop making and sort of costume props and that kind of stuff and, and that's what fascinates me the thing that you can you know you can use one set of materials to make the most beautiful prosthetic or the most amazing animatronic creature but then you can use that same set of skills and materials to make a fantastic costume and that kind of stuff and i think that's a lot of people still i don't know if struggling is the right word but a lot of people still think about prosthetics <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the uh, tom cruise going to work there in his helicopter but and uh, yeah, I think the thing they still think is prosthetics is that one thing, and it kind of is, I suppose, in some respects. Mm -hmm. But it's blending into it. it's when you get absolutely like specialty speciality costumes. Yes, and like yeah. you say, then which we've always done like creature suits and stuff. But yeah. there comes a point where you get this kind of crossover where it's like yeah. they're kind of the same job. And yeah, that that yeah. Batman Begins was a good example of that because you had the like Julian Murray sculpt in the suit, and then mm -hmm. it'd be molded, and then kind of get finished like a car finish then they got someone to spray it remember brian yeah. getting like a car yeah. painter in ashley to Osman spray it called yeah ashley osman oh cool yeah 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 and then yeah and then that was molded in the mold department and mm -hmm. then day from you know the costume department figure out how to attach and make the 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 cape flow correctly i remember yeah. him running up and down with the cape getting it trying to get it to move right in yeah. the wind which yeah. is like all experimentation and yeah. they're all meshed together it's not just about rubber noses and hats mm. you know what i mean where yeah. they're clear yeah, differences of yeah. things and of course the suit was made out of foam latex which mm -hmm. is, yeah so um no i love it that's that's what i really like and of course nowadays we've just been talking quickly about the whole 3d printing technology and it, it, it's tying it together even more 
you know, because it's it, you see all these cosplayers using 3D prints and all these kind of people practicing with flat piece sculpting and noses and mold. Kazu doing jackets for his molds and and uh, as the 3D printing industry continues to evolve, mm. in t- at least in terms of our needs. Mm. I think probably in five years we'll be able to print in materials we haven't even thought to try mm, yet. Yeah. You know, I yeah. know they've been experimenting with printing silicone yeah. for a time, though it's still not not ready. Yeah. But it's exciting know, though. But they're doing some crazy stuff. Yeah. So what well let me ask you a question then. I don't know if I'm allowed to do that, but I'm you gonna are. um how do you feel that um let's call us all three of us old timers and how do we feel about how that's affecting our industry because there is that part of that whole group of people that are like "Eh, digital technology it's going to kill our industry do you think it's going to kill it or do you think it's going to enhance it or how do you guys feel about that i like to think it's going to enhance it i think the whole industry is based uh soundly in experimentation Mm. going all the way back you know multi-piece overlapping makeup is the Mm. result of well what if we did this Mm. you know because it didn't start out that way it would would be a full face neck ears everything you know out of foam latex that Mm. shrunk and didn't fit the actor the same way and somebody dick smith i think said you know what if we sculpted it as one piece and then cut it up and extended each piece a little bit so it would overlap Mm. to account for the shrinkage which also makes it easier to handle Mm. when you're dealing with smaller pieces instead of one big floppy piece and then that evolved into silicone and then Mm. silicone evolved into encapsulated silicone and then encapsulating with cap plastic so you know there's been an evolution i think right from the get-go yeah yeah, I mean, that march of progress is inevitable. It's just a case of... I think the the thing is, it, I think there will, over time, become a, a very clear distinction between those that can work digitally mm. and those that can't versus, you know... And we're not talking about exclusive digital. We're talking about just being able to, like, for example, on productions now, generally speaking, you have to be able to get online and sign documents mm. because no one's passing pieces of paper around anymore and any emails you get, you know, have your name on them. So, you know, if you get a, a set of sides or a call sheet, you can't just print that off. It's got your name embedded in it now. Mm-hmm. So they can find who it was that left that piece of paper lying around. Whatever. Do you know what I mean? So everything's become a lot more digitized. So in order to play that game, there are certain concessions you have to do if you want to be in that game. So things are going to change. Um, but there was a time case. in the not too distant past where the makeup effects community was concerned that CGI Mm. uh, digital actors was going to, and digital makeup was going to replace real actors and real makeup. And that was easily 10, 15 years ago and still hasn't happened. Yeah. 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 I I think, I think there's that, that we're at that point where we're kind of using a bit of both. Like there are concepting things you can do. And that's the ideal. It is the ideal. When, digital and practical can mm. enhance and support the other but that's the thing i think before like you would have had like 15 20 years ago you had people designing things digitally and then they would print out a picture which you would then sculpt in clay 
Whereas now you can do the design and then take that exact same data and output it onto a printer mm. or cut it up into pieces or get it machined up into something as an armature or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So now the sculptor and the concept designer can kind of be the same person. And it's an efficient thing from a time standpoint also because you can digitally, mo- we, we've talked about this already in a couple of podcasts since mm. I've been over here, that you can mock up in ZBrush mm. three or four different makeup designs digitally to get production to sign off on and then take that information bake it finish it print it and or use that as a reference to physically sculpt it Mm. in in a fraction of the time it would take you to physically sculpt those same ideas to get production to sign off on yeah yeah, but I don't think it, it will necessarily replace. I think it's going to be alongside of. Yeah. I just think there'll be more stuff done. Particularly, I tell you what, I think is interesting, like with the sets, like, the you know, you've got the LED screens and stuff. Yes. Yeah. You know, that takes away a lot of the set building, mm. in theory. But now the set's being made digitally. And who is it saying this? Like, but you're making them in advance. Mm. So you're spending the money on that. Well, I guess you build sets in advance, but you're spending digital money up front rather than all in post. Mm-hmm. So that kind of changes the dynamics. So starting to make decisions before you start rolling digitally in a way that perhaps you didn't have to until you had the footage. But I think that also means you may want more things on set, more props, more things. Mm. So, yeah. Well, that, yeah. you know, Christopher Nolan, a perfect example, is <clears throat> Batman Begins. He shot, I don't know how much, because he wasn't sure how he wanted to do things. So he just mm. shot the shit out of it and figured it all out in post. And mm. so, so it's spending probably millions of dollars creating footage that may or may not be used in the movie Mm. that could have, if you had kind of had an idea of what you wanted to do with the film, you could have spent that money nicely somewhere else and and not let makeup or props or or whatever have to suffer because, well, we've allocated all of this money for stuff because I don't know what I'm, what I want to do. Yeah. But it's nice, I think you can... I mean, there still seems like a lot of makeup happening. Mm. And it could just be that you have, you have more things like masks that you can then animate parts of. So you're still going to make some of those things practically. Because the thing about practical stuff is you do get stuff for free. Like the light reflects off it, you get little actions, people do things, they move in ways you get little expressions or head tilts or mm-hmm. things you didn't have to animate. So I think people do like to have that and they can react to that, especially if everything else is fake. Yeah. It's quite nice to have people to react to or... It comes back to my statement, my frequent statement to students is nothing says real like real. Exactly, yeah. That's exactly it, isn't it? Mm. And I think there's maybe going back a little bit and then coming forward, I think there's there's been a certain amount of renaissance, hasn't there, since the whole digital explosion and people panicking like mad. And I think looking at, uh, especially in the UK, looking at the whole Star Wars thing with all the practical creature effects and then looking at the makeup effects and that I think it's starting to um settle into its own you know the sort of the 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 um the join between practical and digital is starting to settle down and and find its way I think Mm. yeah because you can realistically have some practical element even if it's not the finished thing but Mm. you have something on set even if it's a pull-on mask or a partial something which you can then yeah you know animate all like the like the puppets on Jurassic Park you 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 get that movement for free and then you animate the rest of the well give an accurate choice would you rather act to someone wearing a rubber mask or you know a tennis ball on a c-stand yeah Mm. I think well it's uh, well yeah, I mean, it's got to be the rubber mask, surely. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But I think the other thing was we went through that period where everything was 
so much CG, it was all green screen, mm. that I think when when you do that enough times, that that's become how stuff's done, mm. then someone does something like, oh, let's just build a practical dumbbell, well, or let's build a practical thing. You kind of get that response to it, and you go, oh, actually, we need to start doing this now. But yeah. it's almost like you need to have not, you need to not have it for a while to appreciate what value it has. Mm. Whereas up till that point, it had just been an expense that we feel like we can dispense with. And now it's like, oh shit, actually that brought stuff to the thing. It's not just an expense. Mm. It's actually a benefit. Yeah. Well, I, I, I you know? remember hearing a story about Ian McKellen during some of the Lord of the Rings stuff, doing green screen photography and, and him just going off because he's, you know, I'm, a, I'm an actor, you know, and he's reacting to nothing and you know, mm. trying to act without anything to react to. Yes, yeah. And that's got to be incredibly frustrating for yeah. for an actor to play make-believe when there's nothing, there's nothing to there. play with. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think when uh, um, Avatar was coming out and they were doing all these kind of promotional videos and you know, Zoe Saldana and all the team were, were talking about it. And because I imagine a lot of that was green and blue, but she was kind of trying to say, well, we're actors and we're used to playing against nothing. And But it's got to be... Well, exactly that. that. They're, they're used there. to playing... So so if you were then to go on a production where there are actually things for you to react to, yeah. suddenly you'd find it much more... Not not easy, but you it would give you something. You'd be like, actually, can we do this again? Because mm. that was quite nice to have that thing. Yeah, because yeah. that's the whole thing about acting is 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 the reality of the moment you are responding to what someone is doing or saying mm. and it's really hard to give authenticity to a performance when you're not actually reacting mm. to what somebody else is saying or doing mm. i mean i think that's quite a nice thing about makeup is that intimacy where you're actually with someone especially if it's early in the morning and long hours and you're touching their face and gluing things on and changing how they look mm. in real life. And they sort of feel differently and they behave differently. Mm -hmm. That's quite mm -hmm. a nice thing. And that's not necessarily something you need to get rid of entirely. Yeah. No, it's just, I, I think it's just that, that you may have that, to go in there. And, that enhances and the performance. Things. I think that's, mm -hmm. that's great. Yeah. We, we did a, a stage production mm -hmm. of the Wiz musical production and it was a, with a, a handicapped theater company and the actor who was playing the cowardly lion was sightless. Yeah, I, I think I talk about this in the book, but he wanted to have his ocular prosthetist, and he did have have make cat eyes to wear. And so, but because of the way the makeup was designed with the brow and so on, and, and the way the stage was lit, nobody in the audience would ever be able to tell that he was wearing cat eyes in in the makeup. Right. But he knew he was wearing them, mm. and it helped his performance and in a weird kind of way you didn't have to worry about obscuring his vision right yeah <laughs> so yeah. you could really yeah. go to town so with the proportions so it was win-win yeah. yeah that's amazing yeah that's really cool but yeah I, i'm still very i mean but in all fairness i'm very excited about what digital can do because the thing is what's what depending on my competency with zbrush printing is pretty straightforward yeah um there are a few key things you get wrong but you find out pretty quick whereas zbrush kind of has a learning curve and you can get better and better and better but it's not i mean I can sculpt things with it. I'm not great at it, but with the little I know, I can make shapes happen on screen. Mm. Um, so the fact that that, what was entirely the visual effects domain is now within your grasp mm. on a laptop with a consumer, you know, for a grand, you can get yourself a good laptop and, and sculpt something on, you know, ZBrush Core Mini or something mm. for yeah. free and then, you know, print something out. That wasn't within your wheelhouse. So we don't, we're still adjusting to that. There isn't a huge amount of experience to pull in like we did have traditional techniques. You could always find someone to help you make a mold or sculpt 
in theory because we had years of that happening you know you had people who were mold makers for 50 years who could tell you there isn't anyone who's been using zbrush for 50 years so it's kind of new isn't it so we're kind of in that junction so i think going back to your question about how it changes things i think you kind of need to get competent with it to, to play it because it's such a useful tool mm. and I, i'm very aware as well that we talk a lot about digital stuff when this is supposed to be about rubber but the point is but the, it but it is now part of the workflow it's, it, it's part of the workflow yeah because the thing is you can actually use it to get physical objects that you're going to mold later or mm. you know it's changing so fast now that we don't know yet what we're going to be able to do no it's exciting. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And scanning has changed everything because the oh, cost of okay. scanners has gone down. So yeah. now you can get realistic scans. And it's like you don't want that to belong to a department. It's nice if you know how to do it. And, you know, the re the Revo, Revo Pop. The one that I forced Ian Morse into buying on the last show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, have you used it yet? He is. No, no, <laughs> I wanted to see what it was like, so I forced him to buy one. What? <laughs> that one's like 500 bucks. It's, it's yeah. not yeah. that expensive. Yeah. Exactly. So now that, and this is the thing, it's kind of like, it's the same thing you get with latex. Latex is a really cheap material, but it requires quite a bit of skill to paint it like real skin. But it's doable if you can be asked to do it. Yeah. And it's like that with digital. Digital, The cost of digital is coming right down. Mm. So now it's down to, well, can you be asked to learn how to use it in a practical way to produce physical objects? And that's the kind of stuff that if you can, that's going to get you employed. Yeah, yeah. Because you're going to get people that have been brought up with that and don't know yeah. anything. And that's the thing. If, you, if you've if got a background in practical stuff, you know what you can print. And mm. then oh, I can print that in a cheap filament much quicker because I can just sand it and pull a quick mold off mm. it. And if you don't know how to make molds, then that's denied you because you're entirely relying on what the printer does and whether or not that printer is a useful object. Whereas I'm like, because I'm always constantly in, in, amazed when people print the finished thing and then use the thing. They're, you know, their suit is printed. I'm like, well, you're going to mold that and just sand the lines away and spray it up because that's how I think but it doesn't have to be that way but it's good to be able to use both yeah i, I think it's got a great image imagine um in a makeup effects department uh with the cost nowadays if you could just if you've got an actor who's terrified of life casting and you've got you know a thousand pound printer and a scanner and it doesn't take that much to scan print in department whereas i think at the moment it's having to go to a scanning department isn't it or other side of the yeah, studio. Yeah, what if you've got an A-list actor who's, you know, where it's going to cost a, Absolutely. a few bucks, you can get yeah. somebody in to do a to do a full body scan yeah. Yeah. in a fraction of the time yeah. it would take you to do that well, I mean, traditionally. Yeah, I mean, they've been available for a while, haven't they? But, in, but now the cost has come down so much that, you know, departments, or if, if we're doing, if we've got an actor in the UK and you need a scan of their body, then we can scan it, email it. Yeah, exactly. You, don't, done. you exactly. can just show up with a scanner. You don't need a car full of materials yes. and plastic out of their hotel room <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it, it's like anything. It's like the old days. Like if you wanted a photograph, or 1890, for example, you'd have to get a photographer. Now hold, go your, to a photographer. hold your breath, stand very still for yeah. an hour. <laughs> so, for, so, so, so that was, a, that was a real thing. And now, okay, you still have photographers, but I can take a picture of you right now with my phone. Hmm. It's that easy mm -hmm. and it doesn't cost me anything. So... Do you know what I mean? So that that doesn't mean I'm a oh, great the, photographer, yeah. because people who can still take photographs can do better job of it. But the mm. point is, the tech is there, and it's how you use it. And I think it's the same with scanning. It's going to become consumer level, mm. so everyone's going to be able to have it. But it's what are you going to do with yeah, it? I have a love hate relationship with technology. Um, I love it because it's made life so much more convenient and easy for us, and I hate it for exactly the same reason because. Mm. 
you think at some point it's going to come back and bite us in the ass. Yeah. But the the camera on my phone is higher res than one of my Canon SLRs. It's true. Yeah, <laughs> it is bizarre. Yeah, but um, I think we've got a great advantage of being at our sort of age range and where we how we've been brought up and uh, the fact that we've brought been brought up without this technology and we've kind of um learnt and struggled and made mistakes and wasted money and to learn these materials mm. but also now we're starting to get into the new stuff so whereas the the kids coming up out of colleges and they don't know now, they don't know life without computers absolutely so they've got that whole um yeah they're kind of missing maybe it's just me I don't know. Maybe it's, is this true? I don't know. Am I making this up? But they're, they're it's kind a different of missing way of looking at things. Yeah. I don't necessarily think it's better or worse. It's just, it's just if you know a certain thing. It's like when people live in different countries and know certain things. It's mm. just like if you live in a, I don't know, you can live in a very snowy place, so you're familiar with snow and you mm. can ski and you're aware of these things and you, you know, know how so, to drive in it. Yeah, exactly. So, so there is little side benefits that may. R- almost never be of issue mm. but then if you like like todd you live in colorado it snows you have altitude you know stuff like that if you drove in this country when it snows you'd be amazed at how everyone's such a spaz on the roads <laughs> whereas you'd be like but you just put your snow tires on and, and slow down what's the problem but it's, just, it's not it's not in the vernacular yeah. if it's not familiar to you so it's kind of just having those extra things that you can do yeah. um and then bringing it to bear it's all about what you do with what you know it's not just about I mean, this is the other thing about technology is like you could take Instagram, I take a photo, I just throw a few filters on it. There aren't I great. It's like, yeah, but you're using the same filters as everybody else. So what makes it a good photo? Is it it's from a good angle? Are you telling a story with that picture? Is it well composed? Do you know what I mean? All of those decisions, they've got nothing to do with the camera. Mm. It's to do with you as the, the yeah, artist. And yeah. I think that's the thing with all this stuff is the danger is people just won't bring anything to it's bear the because they think that, the that will do it. Yeah. Mm. So I think it's, it's it, it needs to be around long enough to have its its. We need a Dick Smith for ZBrush and all that kind of stuff to make it. Uh, you know, we where people are kind of confronted with that to really feel like they are the put. They need to bring something. It's not just about leaning on the software. It's like using it as a tool mm. and actually, you know, producing something. So, and if you are the Dick Smith of ZBrush, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we want to meet you. Yeah. Can you teach me how to use ZBrush, please? <laughs> <laughs> and teach student how to not stop yelling at the computer. That'll never happen. Okay, we can't talk about specific. <laughs> NDA specific things, but yeah. talk about jobs that you've done and materials and stuff. What's your your interest? Because you've got a really cool YouTube channel with videos where you're making things. So I see that you've got a passion for like, mm. oh, we're going to try this, we're going to try making that. And the curse is obviously, and I've had this too, is you get so wrapped up in work, you yeah. don't get to do your own personal projects no, anymore. But no. that, that desire to do that is still there. And when you get a bit of time, you're like, oh, I'm going to, you go back to wanting to make things for fun, yeah. even if there's no yeah. work, because that's what kind of fires you up. Well, that, that's kind of what it is. And sometimes working, um, you might be making the coolest things on the planet, but actually sometimes it's not as much fun as if it was your own project back at home. Yeah. I don't know what that is. But um, yeah, the YouTube channel started during lockdown, as many many did, and it's it's only tiny at the moment, but uh, yeah, work got in the way. But I just, I think um, the work that I've done in the past, I've kind of covered props, action vehicles, costume effects, makeup effects, uh, creatures, all uh, bodies, all that kind of stuff. And I just, I think for me, it's just being able to take those blobs of material and um, using these kind of 
you know techniques that you know with mold making i think you talked on a previous podcast about the how old mold making is you know with the, the stand sandstone mm. thing and something that old that's been around for so long and you can make something nowadays with modern materials easier quicker and to look incredible i think i don't know i just like making stuff i just maybe i need to get out more i don't know don't I? <laughs> but i really enjoy it. i just really enjoy the whole process and and uh, i don't do i don't make things at home for myself or for anybody sorry i just make them for myself and you know i'll post videos where in fact there's an eye making video where it all goes tits up and doesn't work right and and i think it's really important that people understand that every for all of us i guess that every one thing that you make and you present to the public it's probably about 50 things in the dustbin and but it's a learning process isn't it and that and and it fascinates me material technology fascinates me what you can do what you can't do and how people develop that i suppose and mm. it's um just looking like around your studio now i'm looking at all kinds of things dotted around and it's just it's really piquing my interest because i'm thinking yeah that's bit of polyurethane foam and some silicone and 3d printing and and it's amazing always amazes me how you can bring all these things together to create reality um whether it be a fantasy creature but you try and make it real uh but no, yeah yeah i really enjoy it i've just recently done a wolfman statue thing for a competition i saw that uh, i really enjoyed it it was a 3d printed model but you know adding real earth and real leaves and twigs and then painting with old-fashioned acrylic paints and then adding modern uv resins to make that paint look wet and then you know that whole process just to tie something together and so you end up with this finished piece it's amazing i probably won't keep it because i haven't got enough space to store it so uh, but it's just the whole process that everything going through making that which excites me um and i get really jealous when i'm teaching or when i'm with trainees on jobs because they've got all this excitement and stuff to come and I just remember what it what it's like for me when I learned something new and what it was like for me when I came into the industry and discovered all this stuff that I get really excited so what yeah that's yeah. a really interesting point because I know like when you're on a job you can be on a, you know a long run work you're getting paid and you mm. know you're very happy to be there and, and do that and that's lovely and then there are times where like just on the um at the prosthetics event we're doing the um portfolio surgeries mm. and you know people would show you their work and we would talk about things and how we could you know how they would if you were going to do it again maybe you could sort of do this or approach it that way or, or do a series of them because you know if you do this you're revealing something but if you did another four in different materials or different poses mm. then it would become like a complete thing rather than just you know for example, a severed head. It's like we've all seen a severed head. Mm. But if you did a, three severed heads that will look like they were communicating with each other or something, then it becomes like a story and a standalone thing, as mm. well as honouring all the, the things you were hoping a silicon head would do. And it's really quite fun. And you get, I get very excited about that. And I start thinking of things I'd like to do. Yeah. And it's yeah. weird. It's just like a little thing that gets massaged. And yeah. it just becomes like, oh, yeah, we could do that. Or And, and then uh, it's not my thing. It's their thing. But you well, feel that's that what hit me in, in Cliff's workshop, looking around his shop at all of his designs. And he's got a, a very particular design sense mm. when he when he makes something. And that that was getting me very excited to, yes, to go home and great. try try some new things. Yeah. That whole thing about, because I'm with, with some students at the moment and... Um, well, not right now, but I'm teaching at the moment. And the students are all new, new to this and they kind of haven't developed that brain, that thinking about these things. And so talking to them, you know, I'll say to them, I'll, I'll, an example I'll use is when I was working on um, uh, the Outlaw King 
uh, for Netflix and we had to make 45 severed heads on stakes in various stages of decomposition which is a great job and I think I think we ended up using 10 in the end but uh, but it was really great because um, not only going back to that severed head thing we, when I was making a severed head there was me and Colin Jackman were sculpting and I would always think of a background story for the person I never told anybody what it was but I'd always think of a background story and how many times they tried to cut that guy's head off before they successfully cut that head off. So some of the guys had massive slices through the face, back of the head, all that kind of thing. And I think things like that, even if you don't necessarily broadcast that story, uh, I think it gives your piece a story that people kind of pick up on. You know, severed heads, straight cut, boring. But if you've got lots of attempts to cut that head off, and you've got texture and depth within that yeah, piece. Yeah, putting it into a context, don't you? Yeah, and, and teaching the students at the moment, we're doing, um, we've done life casting and all that kind of stuff, and we're sculpting pieces on their faces, and I'm saying to them, you know, one of them like, oh, this person's been slashed on the face. So I'm like, well, why have they been slashed on the face? Have they been attacked? Are they in a pub fight? Is it broken glass? If they've been slashed with a glass, would it be that straight or jagged? And would they have other things and trying to get them to think about a story behind mm. um and then like you were just saying i get all wrapped up in it and i get really excited i'm like so <laughs> it's not their project anymore push them <laughs> off the stool. do you know what fuck it i'm doing <laughs> yeah, get, out, get out of the way mine but, it's um, mine yeah, but it's things like that i get really inspired by um yeah anything like that and anything. it's frustrating when you're getting passionate about it and they're just looking at you like oh I'm just waiting yeah. for it to be four o'clock so I can go yeah. <laughs> good but, luck with that <laughs> yeah they're a great bunch but yeah it's but things like which we've kind of veered off a little bit because that's what really excites me about the teaching side yeah, of things absolutely um, and seeing other people getting like you're just illuminating yeah. little ideas and connections and yeah. then they're doing the rest of it yeah. and like oh look at that those, yeah. seeing, seeing those light bulbs go on yeah up over somebody's head is, is very satisfying yeah it's funny to, listening to your podcast and hearing you guys talking about the whole teaching and this subject quite a bit actually um i always listen to it i think yeah i, I agree 100 percent with what you're saying about that kind of excitement and that gel almost it's like jealousy isn't it that you well it's contagious and, if you have you know if the fire in you mm. is outwardly visible mm. to your students it's contagious yeah yeah. You know, I, I teach, I say a lot that I teach selfishly because mm. I love seeing people get excited about the stuff that excites yeah. me. And it's it's yeah. obvious the same for you, and yeah. I know it is for Stu, yeah. that when you see that fire ignite yeah. in somebody else. Oh, it's brilliant. You've got to foster that, and yeah. you've got to yeah. fan those flames. It's I'd... frustrating when the kindling is damp. <laughs> yeah, which... Yeah. Which does happen. It yeah. does. But, you know, does. you can't you can't reach everybody, unfortunately. But no. those ones that do share the same enthusiasm, mm. you've got to encourage it. I I have to wind myself in sometimes though, because a student will talk to me or ask me about a particular material. Why would we use that material? And as Stu's mentioned, I really like the whole material thing. And, you know, half an hour later, I'm still wanging on about why. And I'm yeah. thinking, right, that's it. It's break time. Everybody yeah, needs to go. I really it. love this. That's yeah. the thing, because there's so many materials and so many things you can do with it. It's, yeah. it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's all of that. It's not just one thing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. cast me. Yeah. I love it. You want to impart <laughs> all of this information that you have in your head yeah. now. But do you know what's really weird is I often don't really 
and you guys might be the same, but it's not until you're in that con- that's that context and people are asking you about how to do a certain thing or what material to use. It just suddenly, for me, I don't realise that there's so much stuff in there. And then suddenly they'll ask a question and it'll unlock this massive blurge of information that I'm thinking, well, where'd that, that where'd that come from? Yeah. But it's, it's really weird. And I think everybody gets it because throughout every, you know, every job you work on, you see so many different techniques and so many different materials and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And subconsciously, if you're that sort of person, it goes in there, isn't it? Mm. Not everybody's got it. And I think a lot of people kind of bimble through. Bimble is that a right word? They oh, kind that's of a great word. <laughs> they bimble like through, it. bimble through life, with just knowing just what they know, and they kind of there's there's not that sort of inquiring mind. And I think sometimes that separates people in the workshop, possibly, or within that creative environment. The people that really desperately um, want to know and they absorb everything, and the people that just go with what they already know. Yeah, you don't I just want stick that. with that. Yeah, you don't want to be one of those people that's like, "What's the minimum amount I need to know in order to do this?" Yes. Like, if that's what you're trying to achieve, it's yes. like, yeah, yeah. it's not a great. Yeah. Like, what's the what's the least amount of flying time I could qualify as a pilot? <laughs> yes. Like, you wouldn't want that guy flying your plane. You know, you'd want really. someone that was really enjoying it. I think I've been on his plane. That's me. It's 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 lovely to hear someone else share the same things mm. that I feel. Yeah, I think it, I think it's something that a lot of us do, don't they? Yeah, you know, we're all kids at heart. We all love making things, and we sometimes if somebody says, "Why do you make stuff?" and I can't really honestly answer that, but it's when I'm making stuff and I get excited, yeah. or I'm teaching somebody else. It's when I get excited, and that's when I that's why I like making stuff. It's that it's almost like being a kid again. Mm. You know, when I was a kid and I was making puppets out of sponge and copy decks and tissue. And and I'd run around the house like I was Jim Henson or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's that excitement that now I'm ancient, 54 years old. Um, it's I still get that excitement, you know, when I'm making something. Um, yeah, you know, because because it's it's part of our, our natural makeup. You know, we, we can't not do it. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, I'm going to... The thought of retirement is inconceivable to me. You know, I mm. couldn't imagine not doing something well it's all re- the time yeah you'd be rick baker wouldn't you you would retire but you'd still make you'd make more yeah. stuff what was it it was steve <laughs> steve laporte who said you know when he essentially you know quote unquote retired it's not you're not retiring from something you're retiring to something to, yeah, else it's a, really it's a very good attitude yeah, to have very good i think point. yeah um, I, th- I I sort of had a vague recollection of what it was Go that on. got me excited that I kind of forgotten. But it's like it's it's trying to get across the the joy of making something. The process of making something is the fun. Mm. It's nice to have the end result. Mm. But there are so many things now where there's like a good example would be like apps where you just you know you take a photo and the app does all the work and mm. it spits out eight different. Like I had a look at an app yesterday mm. where like you you take a photo of yourself and it'll it'll, it'll turn it into three or four different like Renaissance style paintings mm. and it's quite good fun and you know because it's easy to do everyone will do it but also because everyone can do it it therefore has no value because over time everyone's just going to get used to that mm. and now if you throw a thing through a filter how is that in any way clever? It's only clever as a novelty when most people don't know about it. Whereas the whole point I think about being um, competent is that it's it's a skill and its value is precisely in relation to how hard it is to do. Like if someone can run 100 miles, that's amazing. And it doesn't mean it's easy to do, but it's like, think of the benefits you have as a person that can do that. Well, here's, you know? here's Mr. Cliche again. 
if it was easy, anybody could do it, and there wouldn't be anything special about it. No, so it's a call to arms. To and another okay. cliche, which <laughs> is also true, as, as many cliches are, is it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. Yeah. That's um, a good one. I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> feel feel <laughs> free to use it. I don't Thank know who you. said it first. Thank you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're three white guys who are, who, who are not young en- enough to be worried about certain things, so we have a certain comfortable position that we're looking at this from but i still think that whoever you are you still i still think it's important to be competent mm. i think that's such an important thing there's so many things we wrote what was we doing yesterday and we, we, the subtitle of the podcast was competence over bullshit yep yeah that was <laughs> because that. it's like it's that thing where there's so many things on instagram and i have kids and and i see it in them that there are certain things that they aspire to or they they place value on which are not directly related to the person's competency so mm-hmm. someone might be very very popular on on a you know tiktok or whatever and it's like there are millions of people throwing themselves at that platform trying mm-hmm. to be noticed and some of them will but the vast majority won't and often the people that are noticed are not necessarily noticed for something they can do it's just something they have they're either very attractive or they're prepared to debase themselves for laughs or whatever and that, yeah, has, a, that go- has a shelf life. Do you know what, what I mean? What they're good at is the self-promotion aspect mm. of the work, not the work itself. Yes. And I, I think it's very important because, uh, and I, I include younger people in this, when you work somewhere and you see people who are very good at what they do, you realize they're there because they bring something that, to the party, that mm. they can actually do something. And it's really important. And I think that's partly the reason why we want to do this podcast is to champion the competence that often isn't noticed there was a, a really good meme and it, did, did you see that and it was like a picture of a, of a of two people sitting under a light and there's like a light and the light beam is bending to point on the actor mm. and it goes <laughs> the actor and the, so the light and the attention is going to the actor and the other guy on the bench is like the hundreds of people that made the film possible kind of thing <laughs> and it's like it is a bit like that and because Things like I keep going on about like well, glow, you know, it's, it's like going, going to a restaurant and um, your server brings out this phenomenal meal and you are thanking the server for mm. this magnificent meal and presentation and so on and all they did was bring it from the kitchen to the table and had yeah. nothing else to do with that fabulous meal hmm. and yeah. they deserve the credit for doing that well and not dropping it and checking you know thanks for not spitting in my food but <laughs> but it's but, but like you say there's a whole infrastructure to that and uh yeah and i think when you work in in on on productions as well i think you really get that sense of like mm. holy shit like when you go on a set and you see those lcd screens or you see you know the stunt people or you see this you see that you go my god there's all this stuff that i don't know what they yeah, do there's with their so time. much that goes mm. into what you ultimately see on the screen that yeah. nobody knows about or very few people well, I suppose, pay attention to. I suppose that's always the case, though, in a, in a lot of things, isn't it? You know, when you listen yeah. to Adele's new album, you know, she didn't, she maybe sung it and wrote it, performed it, but then she didn't, she wasn't the engineer in the sound studio or yeah, whatever. She wasn't the cellist. She, the, yeah, exactly. Uh, she wasn't the graphic designer that did this and so on and so forth. But there's always got to be that. I suppose there's always got to be that person right in the public eye, hasn't there? Yeah. Ultimately. But yeah, but, I mean... But that's the thing. If if you see a, someone like Adele and you think, oh, that's really good, I want to do that, and no one showed you or taught mm. you or, or, or revealed to you, there's an engineer. You could be the engineer. Yeah. And you could have a great life doing and, and be very satisfied with your work. Yeah. Whereas you might think, well, I can't sing and I don't look like that, so therefore I can't do any of it. And it's like, mm. no, this is a whole industry. Well, you talked about the pilot. You know, so, well, there's there's... 
the the cabin crew there's the ground crew that maintain the maintainers who keep that airplane in the air mm-hmm. the there's the crew of people who built it it's yeah. not just the pilot yeah yeah you, all of that's necessary you get from here, point a to point b because of many behind the scenes people mm. i i have a very I, I get very excited about sort of not that i know all of the things but i just like i am often surprised that people hadn't considered like you said you know there's an engine there's, there's a whole world of things and mm. they're, they're all jobs that people do yeah. and they need to be yeah. good at those jobs and they get trained and they get paid for that and it might not be in the limelight but most of the jobs aren't and the danger i feel with with a lot of social media stuff is it, it fools people into thinking you have to be in the limelight and if you're not in the limelight then you failed mm. it's that binary which you, in a world where we're told the spectrums of everything suddenly that you get this binary idea about how the world works mm. and it's fucking wrong <laughs> well uh, yeah i mean going back to the whole teaching thing now and, and talking to students and asking them maybe what they want to do with their career and they don't know or they don't understand that you know i want to work i want to be a prosthetics person for instance and it's like well do you want to be a sculptor seeming do you want to do painting art finishing silicone running you know there's so many different jobs within that single department and obviously it goes back to those all of those departments to make up the entire film so i think often students or people just starting out don't really appreciate that you know that thing mm-hmm. uh and they're like well i don't, I don't know don't know. So it's so it's a great opportunity for them, which is to learn all that stuff, which gets me jealous. And you know, but, yeah. And um, if you're just starting out, there's no reason to make a concrete decision no. about what you want to do. No, you know, not I, at all. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. <laughs> yeah. Never yeah. grow up. No, that's why I like to dip in and out of all kinds of different departments. I yeah. think. Well, I think it's it's kind of the fountain yeah. of youth. It it helps keep us alive and young because we're. Yeah. We're exploring and still figuring things out, and you know, just sitting with with Cliff and Ian the other night mm. was a huge education for me. It's like, oh my god, I had no idea. Mm. I'm going to try that. Yeah, yeah, and the, you're surrounded by the sort of physical results of that around you, and mm. it's just that constant yeah. going. You learn as long you keep learning as long as you want to do this stuff. Absolutely, and you've never learned it all. Yeah, no, you, you can't keep going. Keep yeah. going. Yeah, so you, sorry. So you're so you're teaching students at the moment, yeah. and so. What if, if if people are listening to this who are students or, or wanting to be students of this kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Should we try and assemble a kind of a, a sort of a, a five point plan of how you would start doing this kind of stuff? Okay, I mean, I think I think you know the most important thing is to keep doing things, mm. even if it's a small thing, but just keep making things. Mm-hmm. But don't don't think you know it all because you don't. Mm. Well, no, people starting out know very well they don't know <laughs> oh, it's just not, no, I, I'm, that's not necessarily true i've had students who are early on in animation programs who think their work is just the the shit yeah and you can't tell them that it's not and you look at it, it goes oh my god you're never going to work as an animator right because you draw like an eight-year-old i mean i've seen I mean, i've seen eight-year-old drawings that look really good <laughs> yeah but it's like geez how can you possibly think that your work mm. is is as good as you think it is when yeah. it's not? So rule one is learn about the state of the art. Who are the players? Who are the who are the yeah. good people? Learn what good work is and who's doing it. Mm. Yeah, watch so watch idea. the movie credits because those are the people whose work you want to emulate. Yes, and you know they are accessible. Pretty much everybody you see rolling by on screen is on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or all of the above. 
So put so so to pen and paper, make a note of names that you see on and things then, you like, and, and then, then look watch up on their IMDb. filmography. Yeah, yeah, look up on IMDb, the Internet Movie Database, which yeah. is a great resource. Like you say, look at the names and try and get a feel for Check what they've done, what work. other things have they done, where mm. did they come from? Because their stuff will be available online. That's a good point. Mm. We like that. Uh, I think checking your um, knowing whereabouts you are within the pecking order, as it were. You know, I think sometimes people's... This is not by any means reflecting on any single person that I've ever taught, but you see people that are maybe just coming into the industry have this kind of false sense of, uh, um, you know, this false kind of attitude as if they've done it all, been there. But like Todd says, and you said said as well, that you never learn everything and there's always... You should know your place, I think. I think watch the attitude because often people would much prefer to employ somebody who's maybe not as good at doing a thing but they're really nice pleasant um resourceful to be around than the person that's great at doing things but they're an absolute dick mm. do you know what i mean yeah and and i think i see that with i think when you work for people like david white david's really conscious about the team that he has and that it becomes one of these things i know it's a cliche but it really does become a family because he likes to keep those people because he knows their what they're like. He knows their attitude. Everybody gets on with everybody. There's very little drama, unless you're working late nights, for instance. But the, you know what I mean. And and it's really important. I think that if you're if you're a nice person, then you've got better chance of getting through. You don't have to be an idiot to be to make it into the industry. Yeah, there's a certain... Um, you want to avoid that feeling of like, oh, I'm going to be brilliant and I'm going to stomp all over people and show how good I am. And yeah, it's actually, no, it's, it's, yeah. it's being a component is quite Yeah, that quite whole important. backstabbing thing and trying to beat people to the job. And it's just, I mean... Makes no sense. No, and it's just it just makes a toxic atmosphere. And, you know, I've worked at a few, you know, on a few jobs or workshops or whatever, where it's just that atmosphere is just not nice because there's a few people that kind of spread that bad mojo yeah so so point number three don't be a dick (laughs) don't be a dick yeah (laughs) i think people do notice yeah yeah they really do (laughs) why are you looking at me be be excellent to each other (laughs) yes yeah 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 it makes life nice for everybody doesn't it yeah i think so yeah um I think starting uh, to play with digital stuff is important. Mm-hmm. I think if you have an iPad, you should probably get your Forge or, no, uh, or Nomad mm-hmm. and just start doodling, I think, yeah. digitally because mm-hmm. that way it, they're not expensive programs. That's why I bring them up because mm-hmm. they're about 15 quid. Yeah. Learn to draw well. even if, you know, you don't have to be a fabulous illustrator. You only need to draw well enough to be able to show your drawing to somebody else and they understand what you're trying to convey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So we got one more. I think so. Yeah. What about what about if you're interested in prosthetics? Want to start making prosthetics? What do you think is a good way to start that? So I'm thinking. I, I hear about prosthetics. Start, I've seen. Start small. Mm. I I think st- without wanting to quell somebody's ambition for a, a big project, don't don't bite off more than you can chew. Don't don't start out want, trying to do something that you don't know how to do. I mean, you have to start out knowing doing something that you don't know how to do. But if you're going to fail, which you will, fail at something small rather than something big because, you know, that's the kind of thing that can completely put you off of even trying to, mm. to do it at all. You want to yeah. make, make little mistakes 
and get good at what you're doing in a small state and then expand it as you gain confidence and competence with with small things you know, you says you do say make a nose mm. rather than a whole face yeah get good at the anatomy it sounds of, like the anatomy enough. of a nose but but, but like nose make a nose yeah. show me that you can make a nose yeah, look cause, real cuz noses are not easy to do no yeah no it's funny you, what you were saying then about you will fail is really important, I think, for people to realise that because I think people starting out and playing about with these uh, things and trying to develop their prosthetics, they're so terrified of failing. It's going to happen. Yeah, it's part and, of the educational yeah, process. And, and they have to use it as, um, as a learning experience. Why is it? But also don't just, you know, if it fails, don't just throw it in the bin and storm off. Look at it and yeah, work out yeah. why it's failed. And if you don't know why it's failed, then, you know, we've got Google. There's lots Take of photos. Yeah, photo, yeah. speak to and work, use reference images. You did. Oh God, yeah. There's nobody works without some kind of reference. Even if you're looking at your own face in a mirror, mm. use a reference. You you may know what a nose looks like, but believe me, you don't know what a nose looks like. <laughs> we yeah. see human faces all the time, every day. Yeah. yeah. But you know, beginning sculptors will get it wrong. Yeah. Mm. Don't do an old age makeup for your first project, either. Yeah, on, on on your twenty year old mate. <laughs> yeah, because they won't look like. No. Yeah, they won't look like a seven hundred year old no. spiritual guardian of the planet Glocklock. <laughs> It'll look like Steve from Accounts. It won't. It won't work. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. tricky, isn't it? Yeah, it but, is tricky. I know they want to do. You know, I've been there. You want to do everything all at once, don't you? But yeah, and you feel shortchanged if someone yeah. says, "Do the nose." You're like, "Oh, it sounds shit." Yeah, but it's a slow journey. It, every the longest journey begins with a single step, doesn't mm, it? So mm. it's a slow journey, and you've got to start somewhere. And small is cheaper. Often, you're not destroying as many materials if you don't get it wrong. And it's uh, the the journey back to the beginning isn't as far if you've just done a nose or a whatever. I think it's really valuable bit of advice for everybody. And it, the the other thing that's tricky is on social media, everyone everyone posts their best version of everything. So yeah, you, you don't get to see no. all the failures. So you'll be watching, you'll be looking up, you know, great work, and you you will see the best work that's being done. Yeah. And against that, you measure yourself. Mm. It would be like taking a you know a toddler who's learning to walk and sticking him next to Mo Farah. <laughs> And he sprints off and, you know, wins the 100 metres record. And it's like, well, I, there's no fucking point in, in your learning face, the walk. Kid, <laughs> yeah. In your face. Exactly. It's like, yeah. well, well, what the hell are you doing going up against the best? Of course. Yeah. So you've got to measure yourself against how you were yesterday, yeah. not how somebody is brilliant at it today. Because well, that's, not- that's also a good point. You know, don't measure your success or failure against somebody else's mm. success or failure because it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. What matters is, are you improving? Are you getting better? Compare your your work today to what you did yesterday. Mm. You know what anybody else is doing is irrelevant. I mean, you can look at them for inspiration, but don't judge your work against somebody else's work. Yet, mm, I mean, you could do a whole podcast on do's and don'ts. Really, you probably have on do's and don'ts. But it's we talk bit. about it a bunch. We do a bit, and often these things are the same things that crop up. But then mm. you'll you'll meet someone that either hasn't listened to the podcast or or hasn't hasn't started their journey yet and then you know mm. they, they begin their, their course and then they meet for the first time you know material failure but it's great and to get to hear you know somebody it. else on the on the show that mm. says the same things that you and i say to each other on a regular basis and so well geez pete yeah. pete said the same thing so it must be true it is true yeah is that weird thing as <laughs> well whatever of- pete says is true <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he's the oracle of truth yes 
is that weird thing of though of like i think when you start out you're so full of vim and and, and, and energy and you mm. want to do stuff and then over time you kind of get a lot of that out of your system and then you kind of return mm. to to a desire for simplicity i remember saying david white yes. i remember asking him about what kind of makeup i was thinking about doing a makeup for fun and i was going to do something and i i asked him to suggest a good thing to do mm. and uh, he said maybe uh, uh make someone look like they've gained a bit of weight but not a lot mm. just you know a little bit in their face just age their face and bagging you know a, l- a little bit and i remember thinking at the time this was a long time it was like over 20 years ago i remember thinking that sounds kind of crap because mm. that means i won't get to do a big extreme makeup with loads of wrinkles because in my head i had a very um low resolution version of what an accomplished makeup was mm. and the more experience you get the more finesse you have the more you start appreciating the mm-hmm. subtleties and you start seeing yeah. like iron's makeup or you know, Kazoo's makeup, these very subtle things yeah. like you get on Bombshell and it's like, holy shit, that's amazing yeah. because it just doesn't look like, it just looks like a different person. Well, it's amazing how much just changing someone's nose mm. will render them unrecognizable mm. as the person they were. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. having that fluency of what it is that makes the face and making economic, the correct economic decisions. You're interfering as little as possible yeah. if your decisions are right but you can't appreciate that when mm. you're starting out you're just trying to get used to how clay feels and why is this material not working yeah. you need to get all out of your system yeah and ultimately it's about you know if you do this as a job it's not your choice is it you do what you're asked to do and you know it's about making the audience believe or not even realize they're looking at a piece of rubber or whatever mm. and it and in its most sort of um basic terms as well i was watching monster with charlie's throne the other day and the makeup, I think it's just teeth and a yeah. bit of speckle. She's put a bit of weight on, but oh my God, it's unbelievable. Mm. You don't, you know, as much as you're staring at her face, you don't recognise it as... But also, yeah, a, a lot of it's performance as well. And this Absolutely. Is, this is the thing with yes. like makeups that, like someone, for example, someone might put an orc makeup on somebody yeah. that can't act. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're in their front room. It's like, well, if they're surrounded by Middle Earth... Yeah. You know, and and, yeah. and, they, and they've done a movement workshop and they're an experienced yeah. performer. They can make it really good. Yeah. But yeah. if they're standing there awkwardly because they've been pressed into service, somebody's boyfriend has been <laughs> made to wear this bloody thing. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. It doesn't jive at all. And it's like, yeah. it's, it's, it's such a big thing, characters. Yes. They're not, they're not, it's not just the things you sculpt and stick on. It's, yeah, mm-hmm. well, I think that's one of the jobs of a good, good makeup. Mm-hmm. Not only does it physically transform the actor, it helps them inform the character more so that mm. they become that person and it, it alters their performance. Mm. I used to often hear uh, a phrase where, you know, the actor's really good with prosthetics and I was thinking, well, they just sit there and wear it. But it goes to what you were just saying there, that if they're used to it, Doug Jones, I guess, is a prime example. They, they, they know how to act and how to emote and get it through the, the rubber and it just, it brings everything. It's that perfect kind of... Um, uh, bridge isn't it It brings it all together great makeup perfect acting brings it together and i suppose that's the charlie's throne thing as well makeup was really basic but her performance won her an oscar she was she's it was outstanding mm. um but yeah and that's yeah. the makeup working with the performance as yeah, well you know yeah yeah, yeah. and it's a subtle makeup it's not a not a big no. prosthetic job it's no. just just enough to yeah. change her into someone that's not her mm. it's it's incredible i always get blown away by that I know it's not prosthetics, but yeah. And I, yeah. Yeah. And I think that comes from a familiarity with the material. So it's kind of like, it's very good. I think it's very important 
wherever you're training to do what you do in class but to keep going away and doing it and doing it and doing it so mm. you make it's almost like look you've got like a, a hundred mistakes you need to get out of the way in order to be competent mm. so the, the quicker you do them and burn through those the better you kind of come out through the other side mm. it's almost like kind of going through bumpy cloud to, to break through to the, the yeah. clear sky above it's like you need to you, you, we've all got to go through it and if yeah. you're reluctant and you're avoiding that you're not going to get past that because once you become familiar with the materials then more of your brain is available to make creative decisions because you're not thinking how do i work with this or that and yeah it's um it, it takes a while to do all that absolutely i mean you see the people you know it's practice 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 isn't it but and you see people that are at the top of their game now and they didn't just happen to get there they've spent years and years and years practicing and honing and developing and develop you know not just developing skills but developing their thought patterns and processes and, do you think yeah. this is an interesting thing because i've got two kids mm. 17 and, and almost 15 and um and it sounds like a horrible cliche but it does feel like attention spans are nothing like what they were because a couple of reasons one is because so many things are uh, 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 more easily acquired now and so it's useful to have a rapidly firing brain mm. to address those things but there's also something quite useful about not feeling a pressure and urgency all the time mm. that you can actually slowly absorb things and you're not rising and falling with good and bad experiences. You actually got some kind of suspension that levels mm. it out. And it feels like maybe there's just a different way we need to learn stuff nowadays, but it just feels like it, I'm often quite surprised when I meet people who are very calm and slow and methodical and can work slowly and i think if you've been raised nowadays you probably are not aware that people were at a different pace before mm. and i've seen it both do you know what i mean i heard yeah. i hear about you know things like tiktok and i know this may be like meh, 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 gammon <laughs> moaning about something you doesn't understand but mm. i'm just saying and now it's like the pristine amazing excitable feedback you can get from something and a game can't be matched by those things so naturally they're not the the go-to experiences anymore but when you're trying to produce something you have to exist in a place of lack of stimulus yeah. unless you're stimulated by the things like problem solving yes and i yeah. worry that the idea of that is harder to to to, to be satisfied by mm. well i think learning you, still takes sense? place in the same sequence of events you know if you need to experience something minimum of four times mm. for it to make become part of long-term memory otherwise it's short-term memory which is temporary and mm. then it's gone you know studying for an exam and just get all this information enough to take the test which is, which is why i always give open book exams mm. i was never a good test taker myself in school but if you have to read the read the question look up the information look up the answer in the book or on the internet all of the above read the answer write the answer down that's four opportunities mm. to get you in and it hits long-term memory and you will never forget that stuff mm. it, the, those four events may be happening in more rapid succession now than than when we were kids mm. but they still have to take place does that make sense yeah mm -hmm. yeah it makes perfect sense i just also i wonder if that uh, there's a lot of which is why i like and uh, this is why i like working on my own things at home because you don't have those tight constraints. Whereas, it, you know, if you're on a class, I'm teaching these guys for three weeks. So within that three weeks, there's a certain amount of things we have to achieve. Uh, if you're at university, you have only a certain amount of time to do it. If you're working in an industry, you've only got a certain amount of time. There's a lot of rushing, isn't there? Um, which is why I think working on your own projects back at home 
practicing your skills, honing your skills at home when it's not necessarily for Instagram or TikTok or Face, whatever. It's just for you to learn and to appreciate and look and get everything right and you've got you don't have those time constraints and you're ma- able to make make mistakes absolutely when you're yeah. not on yeah. on somebody's payroll which yeah. can yeah. be an employment yeah. ender <laughs> yeah you know because in, in when you're in school when you're learning mm. that's when making mistakes i don't say encourage but it's it's a natural part of the learning experience mm. if you don't make mistakes you don't learn anything mm. and if you're in school that's when it's okay to make mistakes mm. because you learn from those mistakes. You don't want to make the same mistake over and over again. You mm. want to make different mistakes, you know, because you get outside your comfort level until you learn this and, and you're comfortable with it. Mm. And then you move outside that comfort zone, learning something new and making mistakes mm. to the point where you're not making those mistakes anymore and you get to an, to the next level. You know, it's It's continuing to to climb you may take one step backwards with a mistake but then you take two steps forward as long as it's an upward move instead of lateral move you have to be prepared to have those drops that's the thing it's not considered it's going to happen and it's okay Mm. we all make mistakes we just they're either spectacular mistakes or they're different mistakes yeah because if you never make mistakes you don't learn anything and you know you can go through through school and do everything perfectly but at some point you're going to have a catastrophic failure Mm. that you won't know how to deal with because you didn't make mistakes Mm. coming up to the point where this catastrophe happens and you have a meltdown and you don't want to do this anymore and you go learn how to be a car mechanic yeah i mean ultimately well good luck with that yeah you'll you'll, you'll have the same problems i mean (laughs) god bless a good car mechanic but you are not just gonna (laughs) well yeah yeah. but you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah. it's gonna put you off your original path but i think this is a this is the thing that i think i've discovered that is so important to me that it's 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 the experience of those failures that makes me able to do what i can do Mm. and that's so valuable but they feel like when you're when you're surrounded by success after success after success you don't feel like your errors are reflected anywhere like to the same degree and so you kind of feel like you've dropped out of what whatever that is and so you can believe that you know you're in a downward spiral and it's like no you've just learned something really important you understand your limitations so that you can move move beyond them and certainly with material, well, even without materials, in ZBrush, it's still mm. you're still going to make mistakes. But yeah, yeah. well, ultimately, yeah. whatever um, title we give ourselves, whether we're a sculptor or a painter or whatever, ultimately we're all problem solvers, aren't mm. we? And uh, if you haven't made the mistakes, then how do you know to solve the problem? I suppose ultimately, yeah. and you, you won't have made every mistake, but it'll certainly give you a bit more of a idea of where to look if something goes wrong and why it may have gone wrong. You know, if you resin's gone all super bubbly is it because you've lit, left the lid off and moisture's got in or whatever you know it, it makes a difference but yeah. um can i just go back to that fi- that list of five things and mm, add another one yeah is no know your materials ultimately because you know everybody is kind of um not everybody but people tend to get pushed into the one set of materials that the school or college or that you can afford to use and then that's it. And also, you know, we, we only get to hear about certain materials that are being used when we're reading articles or whatever. But, you know, for every one material, there's a thousand different materials out there. And um, 
for me, that's quite interesting is that, you know, one resin, let's say, we're going to name some brands here. Are we allowed to do brands? Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. Uh, Easy Flow 120. Yeah. As, a, as opposed Polytech, to... Polytech. Yeah, um, Polytech, yeah. as opposed to Huntsman FC53. They're both fast casts. They're yeah. both polyurethane, equal parts A and B, but they couldn't be any different in there. You know, the, once they've set and cured Easy Flow, you've got that nice kind of ABS-like flex, whereas Polytech... You, um, the Huntsman, you've got the very low shrinkage mechanical properties. Mm. And unless you know the kind of fine, the, 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 the fine differences between each material, then it's difficult for you to know the best way of creating a project, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that's a good point, because like you say, if you're at a college, they may have a deal with the supplier, so they've yes. got, you know, the, yeah. and very often, as with anything, what 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 you have somewhere is is there because it was the cheapest way of doing something. Yeah. So it's not yeah. necessarily the best material, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's possible. So like you say, you might be quite limited in what you yeah. have access to. And then you can feel very confused because you're like, suddenly there's like all these different choices you could mm. have, and you, mm-hmm. you, you don't get a chance to figure out why one over the other. Mm. Might be a good series of videos to, where yeah. we could do yeah, material yeah. comparisons to show and you want to try to get something. the best results you can given the materials you have access to yeah. that you know one of the schools where i taught had a, a video studio that was poorly constructed and all that stuff and I, I would tell my students you know if you can get good results if you can pull a green good green screen mat working in this room mm. you can work anywhere it's true kind of thing so you know Knowing the material, I think, is really important. It, it really is. I mean, on on our last job, which we won't mention, but there was a there was a few instances where we required a certain property, let's say, and uh, we, uh, you know, and a lot of those instances was kind of on on me to try and work out how to create these things, and we ended up coming up or finding a material that we could use for animatronic cores, we could use for clear horns, white horns. Uh, for bits of jewellery, and it's all one material. I've never seen it in my life, and it was the most amazing stink stuff. It was. Can I can I name it? Yeah, please yeah, do. It, I the, the material was called Biresin U one four one nine, and it's a material that was developed. Just rolls off the tongue. It's beautiful name. <laughs> <Who makes it? laughs> it, it's a it's a Biresin. You can get it from Neil's Materials here, and it's the people that do F forty. Um, oh, um, Axon. A- Oh, no. Was oh, it not? No. Um, maybe we'll... We'll, 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 maybe we'll research it yeah, put yeah, it in the yeah. show notes. But it's but this stuff comes as clear, and it's a, it's a flexible polyurethane, and when it goes off, it's as strong as steel. It's as light as a feather. It's flexible. It can be pigmented. It doesn't shrink away with heat. You know, it's it, and it's something I'd never seen before, and, and it's only because of me enjoying that side of things. And Sounds great. I can't really go into too much what we did, but yeah, it, it's and it was developed apparently for making the tiniest little uh, spray heads for injection molding machines, and uh, and now it's being used in the film industry. This is the thing; it has it has a, a use elsewhere. Yeah. Other industries have these things, yeah. and it's just takes someone to to be. A, 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 appreciative of a property and mm. knowing oh we could use that here or yeah. you know yeah. it could be something that that could be you know yeah that was part of the hijack. conversation we had with uh cliff and ian mm. was, was it cliff and ian about, talking about you know, other industries using materials that mm. you know we're we always looking you were talking about silicones that we're trying to find that perfect material for prosthetics mm. that somebody's got it somebody's but we just haven't found it yet. Yeah. And and having that healthy uh, sort of out attitude about 
about your value so that when you're using material you, you can focus on the property and the material and be aware that it's not working yeah. i know this material so i don't feel like a failure because the material is i know it mm -hmm. so it's like you were saying knowing your materials yeah. is good because that way you can you can judge what's user error and what's not no it's either the wrong one or this is a bad batch or they sent yeah. me two parts a and labeled one of them b that's happened before you know <laughs> yeah. because you realize there's people in a warehouse and people make mistakes and so there's a it's quite a vast area and it's tricky to be exposed to all of those things it really is and 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 come away in any timely fashion with all of this information because you won't you just have to be interested enough to kind of yeah read into it and look into it and and, and understand these things like yeah. the, the, there are families of materials like resins you know urethanes or epoxies and like kind of stuff and all of this information is available online mm. you can read about it it's just whether or not you can be asked doing it yeah and the yeah. people that do tend to did quite well because yeah. they actually have something that they can offer so yeah yeah, yeah. You, that's another way. you need to be willing to do whatever it takes to get you to where you want to go because some people will say eh, i just don't feel like i'm gonna go home and i i'm jones into play red dead redemption or or whatever you know it's, it's I'm, i don't want to stay late and mm. work on this and and learn about a material another material I, i'm happy with the materials i know and it's that's yeah. the red flag to let you know that you're you're not really trying hard enough. Yeah, and you should, should always want more. It's going to sound a little bit yeah. old man ranty. Yeah, but I mean, it's looking at these two mountain bikes sat in here. Um, you know, look at all the different materials that are on there, and they've only used those materials because they're fit for purpose. And presumably, yeah. they burn through other options that didn't absolutely match up, and yeah. we we can't see those yeah. failures lined up. But someone could presumably go back in time. You could lay them all out and go, "Here are the fifty different types of <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. WD forty. Yeah, there were 39, 39, 39 others yeah. before they settled on WD forty. Yeah, because it worked. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's just. Uh, I think. I think we need as a society. To, 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 to do more to to reveal what goes into things and make mm -hmm. it more apparent because there's so much work that goes into everything that well, isn't there a, isn't there I know there are books on how things are made yeah there are but what I mean is like not that I want to be Amish but I'm just saying if if you live in a house <laughs> even if you didn't directly build the house you will have seen it built and you would have you would directly know people who had built that house yeah. and if you know a horse has got shoes on its feet or a leather saddle or a meal was made or somebody died or was treated or it was buried or a tree was an orchard was grown you would know you would have a connection to those things mm. and I think nowadays we're so far removed everything is so complicated and there's silos of, of, of expertise that are separated from each other and you don't need to know about part A to make part B, mm. which and is very efficient from an employment point of view. and consumer. Yeah, we the, the Henry Ford gap. kind of model, you know, and or McDonald's, if, 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 if person A doesn't show up, person B can make the fries, they taste exactly the same. And that's a very efficient, scalable model and that's taken over everything. But what it's meant is, as a, as a, as a person, you don't know an awful lot or you do know an awful lot about, about, about a very narrow thing and i think there's something quite powerful in in, in being curious about other things and yeah, having a little bit of knowledge just in, in the world things. we live in now it's i think it's to your detriment if you don't learn how to do other things yeah and it's but what's odd for me is being the the age I, I, i'm in a slightly different position because i'm i'm 48 and my dad was quite old when I came along, which meant he had a very old head on his shoulders and brought with him a lot of older values. 
and I've got young kids. So I kind of see both sides of a coin. I remember a, a, an almost Victorian era attitude in my dad that I remember. And he was very good at, at fixing stuff. And he could just kind of, he would sit with it and figure it out. It was like the problem is like you go, you, you squat down to the problem. You don't, you don't make everyone else bring the problem up to your level. You get down to where it is and you, you're humble enough to figure it out. And that may take a while. And there's real value in that. And I don't see that reflected enough in what most people turn to for their entertainment. And it's completely understandable, but it's a side effect that hasn't been around long enough for it to go, shit, this is really bad. People don't know how to, I don't know, do certain things anymore. Mm. What? Uh, things that we really need them to know how to do. There are people who drive their car and haven't a clue how to check the oil or change a tire or do anything mm. remotely associated with my car's not working properly. You know, I grew up in, in a family to, you know, how to do all of that yeah. stuff. You know, yeah. mm. change a car, fix the carburetor, clean out the, the, change the oil filter, change the oil, change a tire to do all of those things. Yeah. And, and it's quite empowering to be able to do those things. The, the, uh, again, we come back to competency. And so all of this really is just a, a pleading for people to become <laughs> competent at things yeah. and knowing that it's worth Compet compet competency over bullshit. Yes, <laughs> there's a T-shirt. <laughs> um, this is quite good, but I, 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 I'm aware that I might be sounding quite ranty. But I think it has its place because no, I don't it's, think so. Well, because I'm, I'm older than either of you. Yeah, that's fair enough. But I, but like you were saying, like with with, with various jobs, I have been, you know, on in 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 actual work situations where we're doing this thing. This isn't going away. We've got to figure it out. Mm. And it's uncomfortable and it, it's tiring. And if you are not used to stretching yourself and having that be your burden, mm. then you're going to have a, 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 much, a much smaller amount of leverage in your life. And it's really important to be able to deal with stuff. And so by doing it in a safe, small way like this with makeup effects, for example, if that's what you're interested in, then you can start to get a foothold in that world and it, it, it makes you stronger and better I think mm. than you would be if you didn't and so I'm, I'm trying to encourage that and you probably do it in classes as well yeah. and you'll have a range the, the good thing about a class is you have a range of people so you'll get people who have a, you know who who break down in tears because something didn't work and then we'll look at it again and you get other people that will then come back the next day and they're like I, here's some notes I've looked up this I've looked up that I'm, and that doesn't happen often or you might say, look at this, look at that, or guide people. And like, unless you physically take them over to the keyboard and type in the thing, they won't do it. Mm. And it's like, that's fine, but you're not, you're not going to be the person I call on to fix a problem. Yeah, and then, you, then you've got students who are going to succeed regardless of your presence. Yes. Who yeah. will blow the fucking yeah, you out come of the water. In, come amazing. In <laughs> do, do something that's looking really good, and you make a couple of suggestions to and come in the next next class and you go holy shit <laughs> yeah exactly and that yeah that's the world over but everyone has the capacity to get better you might not be a genius savant but you can definitely improve yeah. based on how you feel about what you're going to do definitely. and i, I want to encourage people to lean into that difficulty because mm. i think there's so much value in that regardless of what you do but it's very true i, I just going back to the whole steve wang thing uh the podcast and he was saying about the sculpting and and I've believed this for a long time, but I've never actually heard anybody else say it. 
But Steve was saying that sculpting is a skill that can be learnt and then the rest of it comes, the creativity comes from the design or however you, you know, you use that skill that you've learnt. And that's something that, that you, you know, you don't just get it straight away. You've got to go for it and go and go and go until you're really happy with the finished. And and that's kind of a good analogy for the whole lot, really, isn't it? Is that you're not going to just drop out of the womb and be able to create the most amazing prosthetics or monsters or whatever. Mm. It's going to take a long time. And well, some people will, but the, the yeah, danger well, is yeah, that we you don't think talk about the, the danger is that you think that that's that's normal. Yes, you know, it's, yeah. it's like no, that's that's unusual. But yeah, every, like you say, everyone can learn it. That's exactly what Amelia Rowcroft said as well. You know, it's a yeah, mm-hmm. technical yeah. skill. Absolutely, I think sculpting. You know, you can learn how to make a fold or a wrinkle, or you can learn where the direction of wrinkles or how fat is under the cheek and blah 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 but it's how you utilize that and how you put that together i think which is the important thing mm. which is uh yeah anyway it is kind of like, like, like notes you could learn all the notes you know on a guitar yes but if you just play the notes here's <laughs> yeah. an a bring here's an a minor well, that, that's not a good tune yeah. mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's 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 well done you can play a chord so mm. what what are you going to do with that chord yeah, yeah. Yeah, you you talking about the you know, twenty six letters in the alphabet. Mm. You have to know them all, but it's what order you put them in mm-hmm. that separates you know Wuthering Heights from you know a Furry Freak Brothers comic book. Mm. It's telling telling stories. Although I love the Furry Freaks, <laughs> Furry Freak Brothers, great <laughs> comics. Uh, dates me a little bit. <laughs> There'll be people who go, what the hell is that? Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) well, all right, show notes. (laughs) I think uh, one of the uh, materials we're seeing a lot more used in certain workshops is epoxy and stuff. Mm. Um, And I've spent a lot of time, as a few as well, you know, making fiberglass molds and polyester molds. But I wonder if there's a more pressure to do things in a, and I don't feel qualified to talk about this at all, but it's a conversation I think is worth having is like, what do we do with, the waste of those things as well mm. trying to minimize the waste of things and epoxy seems to be quite good because it's less toxic i mean it, it still has yeah. fumes and all that kind of stuff but yeah epo- i think epoxy feels safer to use because of the fume situation but then the uh the fact that epoxy doesn't smell as much as let's say polyester people feel like it's safer to use and and yeah i think it is safer but it's still not very good and for you, same with urethanes, doesn't really smell, but it's an absolute horrible material. But the disposal of epoxy, um, whereas it's still not super dangerous, I think environmentally it still needs to be taken seriously, the same as polyesters or uh, polyurethanes, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think you've just got to be careful, you know, use the slops bucket like we would normally do and, and just let it cure. Or if you've got spare A and B, mix them together and let it cure before you throw it away. I think we still need to be careful. Mm. But yeah, it's, um, I would still, I mean, I can, I'm, I'm feeling like I need to lean over to urethanes to explain the thing a bit more because, you know, people automatically think polyester fiberglass is, is really bad because it stinks like hell. And it is really bad, obviously. Uh, but the urethane and epoxy, not so much epoxy, but urethane, they kind of you see a lot i've just recently seen a video on a youtube a very famous youtube channel um where they're making props from the new ghostbusters film 
and I don't see anybody wearing masks or gloves or extraction. And urethane is the devil's own work. You know? Oh, yeah, because it's cyanide oh, gas. It's horrendous stuff. And because it doesn't smell so bad, the, the amount of people I see looking in a mould as the foam to is see expanding. The <laughs> yeah, and people are just like, they've got it all over the hands. And yeah, and, and so I think, with the, I think with all chemicals, I don't think we should... Uh, you know, sort of loosen the reins when it comes to PPE or any of that kind of stuff. I think all chemicals. Epoxy is great stuff, though. I mean, it, it releases beautifully, doesn't it? It pops mm. out mm. beautifully. And, and it was only recently that I realised because the, you know, if you look at, a, an, let's say, an F40 mould, uh, which is a urethane, and you look at it under a microscope, tiny, tiny, millions of tiny little air bubbles, tiny you get an epoxy, same mould, and look at it under a microscope, barely any bubbles. Now, so, is that because the, the epoxy is applied with a brush, do you think? And, and often resins are poured? I think so it's, a... it could be, but I think a lot of it's down to how it's curing as well. The, right. in, the, in the curing process, I think it's not building as much heat. Well, epoxy is not affected by moisture the way urethane yes, is either. Absolutely, mm. yeah. Which, so it's yeah, no, it's, it's gonna. It's a perfect just the storm, humidity in the atmosphere. Yeah, is yeah. going to affect urethane. Yeah, and where you get those microscopic bubbles, mm. whereas with epoxy, it's, not it's, as, no. it doesn't affect like you know, condensation cure silicone and versus yeah. addition cure. Yeah. Mm. You know, if you tint your tin silicone with mm. with uh, acrylic paint, which you can, mm. because of the 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 water. In the acrylic paint, you, you don't think about this when you're doing yeah. it, but I noticed it using uh, the one component, smooth-on silpoxy. Mm -hmm. I was patching some some uh, holes in some silicone Shrek gloves, mm. and I was mixing a little of the same green paint in the silpoxy, and it kicked off before I even finished mixing the paint wow. into it. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you don't want that. No. Yeah. Yeah, so that th those kind of properties are interesting, and that comes down to, like you say, knowing your materials. You yeah. wouldn't have known that because no. it was fine in the <laughs> But I stuff. do now. But, you do um, now. Yeah. Uh, but it cost you know an error for that to be the case, and yeah. you, the, the good thing was you you drew from yeah. that. And fortunately, it was it was just you know a little little teeny dollop that I was mm, mixing sure. up to just to patch a a slight tear in a in a finger. Mm. That'll be yeah, that's interesting. I heard somebody saying that uh, the silicon caulk. You can spit in it, and it makes it go thick, so it's almost sculptable. Yep. And before it cures, <laughs> yeah, and no, I, you put a, put a couple or, of drops of water, or in. a drop of water is maybe not as uh, nasty. But yeah, and uh, I've heard of people doing horse noses on you know dead horse corpses and things, just doing that as so a prop. That, you mean <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> not actual dead horse, <laughs> just sneaking around in the field? <laughs> people with, are like, but I like horses. Yeah, no, as a prop. But uh, yeah, it's it's things like that, isn't it? It's, yeah, uh, putting silicon catalyst into urethane will snap cure it instantly and things like that yeah, so. figuring out what what you can and can't do with certain yeah. materials yeah you've got to be careful though sometimes yeah or putting um a gelling agent into latex we do a swilling latex to make yeah. it into a really thick yeah stuff that then sets yeah and then you know you might have to dry it for a week but the point is you haven't <laughs> had to swill it for 20 yeah. layers to to build up oh yeah and um, the other thing with materials as well is like that kind of like you know how printers you can get cheap printers but the real cost is in the ongoing toner cartridges mm. which are really expensive yeah. with mold making as well i think like if you've got a lot of runs to do like nowadays we tend to make a lot more silicon jacket molds so mm. for, for prosthetics which mm. wasn't such a big thing so you got you know your core which may be rigid and then inside that is a silicon jacket that's held together you know with a, with a rigid core so it's accurate and clamps together whatever but either things like good epoxy molds or a silicon jacket because they release better yeah you can kind of afford to use less release or be less concerned with getting every single do you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. by making a material that you're going to run 
a mold 50 times mm. the fact that it uses less release or it's more efficient with release means you're using less cans of release you're spraying less chemicals mm. there's less fumage in yeah. that set. do you know what i mean so it's kind of the the way a mold is made and the material it's made of can improve things further down the chain it's not just the mold itself it's mm. what other uh, ancillary materials and there are things now that you can even add to use. the silicone of, of the of your of, the, of your jacket mold um smooth on makes uh God, what the hell is the name of it now i'll we'll look it up oh the hair room it's oh it's like a um, intrinsic it's, release, yeah, it's the it? stuff that they used to add into the yes. life casting body, silicone body double, body double before they had the the release built into it mm. um they use it for yes. tinsley stuff I've got some. you can actually <laughs> add that to the silicone so that the silicone becomes self-releasing yes. for whatever material you're putting into it um, tinsley has a, a couple of drops of the yeah, stuff yeah. that you use for the hyro slip for that for the flat mold when you're doing mm, yeah bondo transfers yeah. with their yeah. ptm their prosthetic transfer material it's god what the what the hell is the name of that stuff? you keep talking i'll go yeah. dig it out my ship we'll keep um but you just <laughs> just mix a, a, a small amount yeah. you can figure out the percentage that you need based on the volume of your silicone yeah. but mix that directly into the silicone so that you don't have to spray yeah. a release into it and release whatever you're doing into the atmosphere because it's already in the silicone mm. and it's going to be releasable you know self-releasing now for the life of that mold yeah and well and also that that speeds up the whole process doesn't it because then not only are you not spraying in, into the atmosphere you're not taking those you know it sounds stupid but those few seconds to spray when you're doing hundreds of pieces adds together so when you've got the yeah uh, when you've got that that release in there whatever that mystery release um yeah it kind of improves and you know it's a film industry it's all about making money and saving money and time uh stuart's currently trying to find <laughs> this stuff that we're talking about because none of us can remember the name of it's not it's not hydra slip is it or something like Hy no no i just looked up i just typed in smooth on hair release and it came up with an advert for a mold release agent called mclube <laughs> <laughs> Which is, it's not that, but I like that name yeah, better. McLean. No, he's not on that list. Any look over there, Stu? You find it? Yes. You've got it. Hyperfolic. That's oh, it. That's, that's the, the stuff. one. That's the stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've got some here. Hyper, <laughs> hyperfolic. Hyperfolic. I knew the word hair was involved in this somehow because of follic, follicle. <laughs> mm. But, uh, yeah, so hyperfolic, you can add that to your silicon and it you know, as a percentage and then mm -hmm. like 10% or less. Mm. And it just makes that silicon because what I found is that silicon, uh, platinum silicon molds, which we typically use because they're quite fast and they're safe on skin. Mm. They tend to be quite dry precisely because nothing leaches out of them really. Yeah. And so because they're dry, they can be quite grippy mm. with cat plastic. And there, it's a, it's a real fine line with the hyperfolic. If you're mixing it into the original, um, body double that doesn't that doesn't have the self-releasing in agent in it mm -hmm. that if you have just doesn't take much to be too much and then when you're putting the silicone on the skin it's so releasing that it won't actually stick wow and stay yes yeah, yeah, it won't and actually it starts sti to, stick yeah, to yeah, as it, to as the it skin. starts to thicken it'll stick to your hand or you'll you'll displace it and you can't <laughs> yeah. build up a thickness yeah, of silicone with it's impurity 
Yeah. yeah. It was really a bit ranty, but I kind that's of right. feel like... Well, that's what we'll call this episode. <laughs> ranty Grump, Three grumpy men. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, dr- I was driving here today without a clue what we were going to talk about, and I just thought, well, Stu's and, and uh, Todd are both brilliant at this kind of stuff. So I just wanted to have a conversation. Uh, I think we did. Yeah. Mm. Well, people ask me what my favorite thing is to do. My honest, genuine answer is whatever I happen to be working on at the moment. Mm, yeah. If I'm sculpting, sculpting's my favorite thing to do. If I'm making molds and, you know, I'm far from being what I consider a good mold maker, but if I'm making molds, mm. that's what I love doing. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm working in ZBrush, stumbling around like the idiot I am, <laughs> ZBrush is my favorite thing to do. Mm. You know, I like doing all of it. It's true. It's true. Be- yeah. Because I, I mean, I'll be, you know, yesterday I was sculpting a Somebody being glassed in the face with a bottle of J2O, very specific. But uh, And I was sculpting the piece on there, and I was kind of pulling it down, telling students about the fat and how it, gravity. And, and before I knew it, I'd quietened up, I'd shut up. And the students were watching me, and I was just really gone into this little zone of my own. I had to slap myself and realise that I was supposed to be telling everybody. But at that point, that was the best thing ever. I just yeah, well, really that's, loved that's that. when you know... It, everything's working you're yeah. firing on all cylinders yeah. when you come down to the workshop to work on an idea that that you had during the night mm. and you're working and you just time stands still you say oh geez i've, I've been sitting here for a while i should probably stand well, up that's, and yeah. stretch and maybe go get something to eat and it's dark outside yeah yeah that's yeah, a yeah. but that's a valuable thing i think to know that you if you start doing something you can start to enjoy it because the danger is and this is what i like like listening to the radio sometimes is that you will especially Radio 4, Spoken Word Radio, or mm. something like NPR, mm. where you 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 make choices about what you want to listen to, typically. So you'll choose an album that you like or a, th- or a playlist that you have, and that's fine, but that means you're always going to be in the same little echo chamber of stuff. And when you sort of listen to something where you're not in control of it, it's mm. playing what it's playing, some things you won't like. So mm. you develop a tolerance of listening to things that perhaps are not to your taste, but also you exposed to things that you didn't even know mm. you would enjoy. Like if I give you the title of this program, be like, that sounds like shit. And actually you go, wow, I didn't know that's what that was. Yeah. That sounds more interesting than I realized. And it's like, Oh, it's like me spending 35 bucks this morning on Nick cave and the bad seeds music. <laughs> Cause we, we driving in the car and we were like, oh what a, so we're getting on Spotify and I'll play Stu a song that I really like and he'll go oh oh and they don't find something and so we're sharing this music and we start listening to to Nick Cave and the and the murder murder ballads murder ballads album and I go I like this that's <laughs> no, a good album it's a I album. I just spent the last few weeks doing the Wolfman thing and all I was listening to with you guys. And uh, it was brilliant. Really? It <laughs> was it was really brilliant because it just made me feel like I'm feeling right now. It kind of it there's none of this kind of music and blah blah blah. It's like you're sat. This is kind of me giving you guys a pat on the back because your podcast just makes me feel like I'm sat in the room with you guys and we're just titting about making stuff. And that whole Wolfman thing that I made seemed to go seemed to last. 30 seconds because I was enjoying the banter and the chat with you lot even though I wasn't you know putting anything in uh, it was brilliant so yeah if it'll you... be interesting to get your impression of what it sounds like when you're listening <laughs> to this one I'll be switching that one straight <laughs> off when I can hear my own stupid northern voice but uh, yeah no it was it was great and so it kind of goes to you know listening 
to something you really enjoy and love when you're working on something and it really helps you focus down and relax and get into it and love what you're doing and there's nothing better is there than making cool, something man. cool yeah, that's so to, nice to hear Thanks. it's true very very neat i'm not just saying that because i'm sat right in the same room as you too but well that's it's, it's, it's cool it's, to get that validation because that's why we true. do this yeah. yeah yeah man well the thing is i get i get so much joy out of listening to podcasts i mean i always bang on about i listen to the blind boy podcast mm. a lot yeah. and there was a there was a podcast we listened to on the drive mm, down from about bolton the chicken hut yeah about <laughs> about um this 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 place in in limerick Mm. The chicken hut that 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 makes and again, this sounds like such a crap thing, but it does <laughs> not. I promise you, you would, you would be. I I, I I defy anybody to not find this story fascinating about this this little chicken place that used to be, um, it used to sell the it still does the original recipe Kentucky Fried Chicken, and it's amazing uh. and it's like. Because KFC is a company changed their recipe and this mm. guy used the same that the Colonel Colonel Sanders gave this guy directly, personally. So this the is the most original yeah. KFC you can have. Yes, because yep. KFC actually are trying to economize anymore, things. This is the original so they, recipe. They, 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 they economize in the recipe because obviously they can make more money Holy by shit. But in, and the Colonel didn't like that, so he ended up not having nothing to do with it, but he kept his rights to have these KFCs overseas and he gave it this particular recipe you gave to, to this this guy and, he, mm. and it's still there and they still use that recipe and they, they sell the seasoning they, they now have a company and they had but to they change sell the, the name they came, couldn't use the, KFC, KFC anymore so they changed it to the chicken hut that are the real KFC whereas yep. the real KFC is uh, just charlatans but, yep. but, but, but technically that is the real KFC because that's what yeah. you get at KFC but what yeah. they're saying is it's just not the colonel's recipe it's not the original so, and from from Blind Boy we went to Parapod pa- what's that? Uh, all about paranormal Oh, so ghost, yes. ghost hunting. Yes. Yeah, and yeah, they've made yeah. a movie now, which is uh, it's on... Which we have to... Spo- have to oh, watch. yeah, we're going to watch that tonight. Watch, yeah. um, which is on, you know, Prime and, you know, Hulu and all the other places. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's basically two comedians that one one, one believes everything mm. and one believes nothing. He's a very skeptic. It's and hilarious. He dismantles his argument. But, but probably he does... I know what you he, mean, though. He does He sounds it. just like John Lennon. But, but one, one, one has his thing, the other one dismantles his argument and... It, the, the the joy is in their interaction because they're good friends but yeah. it's just funny yeah it's hilarious um, so yeah and i'm the same i will get into a podcast that's really fascinating and time just disappears absolutely and blind yeah. boy talks about this he calls it the flow state where you just get into what how often happens with your editing i think where you mm. get so absorbed into what you're doing you no longer have a sense of time mm. uh and you just get completely consumed you're you're in rhythm with your work it's mm. it, there's nothing jarring and so you're just my brain doesn't doesn't flow. work that way i can't listen to spoken word and work i i have oh. to listen to music and it's familiar music so i can it can go into the background mm. but i really can't work time time will stop for me if i'm listening to music yeah. um, but if i'm listening to spoken word i wind up listening to that and i find myself having to redo things because yeah. i'm listening to the podcast instead of concentrating on what i'm doing I, 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 I can't do this you know sometimes in workshops you see people sculptors or whatever and they've got their ipad there and there's Netflix on. Mm. It's like how the hell? I can't watch. Yeah, no, no you did distracted. It's, it's right? the same thing. I, I yeah. get distracted. Yeah, it's got to be audio. Yeah, podcasts all the way. <laughs> Is that right? That's yeah, fucking brilliant. Good. To the pub. There you go. So that was Pete Tyndall. I hope you enjoyed. I certainly did. We had a lot of fun recording with him. So thanks, Pete, for that. Yeah, Pete's a great guy, and it was good to see you again. It's it, it been a few years. Yeah, I guess you guys haven't seen it. What since Monster Palooza? Yeah, when we went for the tenth anniversary. Yeah, yeah, seventeen or eighteen. I met to Monster Palooza. It was Monster Palooza's tenth anniversary. That's right. 
That's right. It was the 25th IMATS. And when we the, stayed at Casa Kruger. Yes, that's right. And then it was the... Casa Kruger Mikash. I'm trying to work out when IMATS LA... Is that 2017? Might have been. The 25th anniversary. The one with, with the Lost Boys music and all that stuff. Do you remember Oh, that? yeah. And then the Rick Baker stuff. Yeah. Where did you stay? I think that was the... Because I stayed... With, I stayed at Nula, Nula and um, Frankie's place. They got an Airbnb, and I stayed in the uh, garage. I, I might have stayed at the Marriott. I can't remember where you stayed. Did you come and get stayed? Oh, the Sheraton. I, 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 st- I think I stayed at the hotel right by the Pasadena Convention right. Center. I don't remember. Oh, yeah. That was a good time. I don't I think I slept the in burgers. the car. I just remember oh, yeah. Getting, getting that was, in and out that was for the Monster, monster Palooza. <laughs> that was um, amazing. in and out Burger at 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, I had so much Wow. Fun. Yeah, I want to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> it's the right time of day to go. Just that to was see an the adventure. Yeah. Very cool. The underbelly. Awesome. Well, anyway, as, as always, you can get in touch with us at stuartandtodd at gmail.com. Please do drop us a line. Or, or leave, yeah, leave us a voice message on our website, uh, battleswithbitsofrubber.com. All right, dude. I'm going to sip more of this whiskey um, and then we're going to wait we're, we're prepping for another episode it's going to be a big episode we're going to record hopefully later today which will be coming out soon but yeah have a, yeah, have well, a good evening finish, finish off this bullet bourbon and take a little nap that might actually happen I can imagine everyone saying <laughs> right let's go and we're just passed out fast asleep snoring uh, he's got drunk again like 8 hours of us on video just <laughs> snoring and drooling looking like Rick from Rick and Morton <laughs> Later. All right, mate. Bye. You can get in touch through our Facebook page or email us at stuartandtodd at gmail.com. Check the show notes for more information. If you enjoyed this episode, tell someone else and help us grow by sharing it on social media. Thanks for listening.